Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the 24th of November, year of our Lord. Happy early Thanksgiving. No intro sound today. That's a rarity because this is kind of an ad hoc show. Um, I hope the sound is good. We have done a complete overhaul of the bunker and prep for YouTube broadcasting. So re-insulation, removing the desk, uh, actually putting up a backdrop and having something that looks other than a hole in the wall that I squeeze my fat ass into to podcast. Um, so I even have a projector here. Oh, yeah. We're going to be projecting behind me the videos instead of playing them and editing them in. Editing them in. I got the speakers so... Uh, the microphone will pick it up for the SoundCloud version, but I'll just play the videos behind. And I even got a pointer from back in my, uh, army instructor day. Oh yeah. We're going to do a class. So, uh, we're going to go with uh, the upfront and our A block is going to be COVID and Thanksgiving because they go together because I couldn't find an article about, Hey, be thankful. I found a million articles on, you're all going to die if you do Thanksgiving, and Thanksgiving's a racist piece of shit. But before we get there, I wanted to cover red states, because this is going to get buried in the election, because there's just so many things uh, we're going to play today. Uh, Tucker did a segment that, um, thank God, he brought back that scientist who actually is a non-Trump hater, Biden supporter, who was doing the social media. Study. I'll let the punchline be the beginning of our election section because, yeah, it's bad. And then we'll close with violence. So, up front, Eric Topol yelling, loud speech, singing worse than coughing and sneezing. Micron scale expiratory particle emitted such as speaking or singing increased dramatically with loudness and can greatly exceed those generated by a cough. Derek Thompson. Every route of viral transmission will go down if we talk less or talk less loudly in public spaces. Stephen L. Miller. After months of mass protests, people shouting, gathering close, and public Biden victory dance party gatherings, and not a single person in the media will make this magical connection. Hey, like this, or like this, or like that, and just thousands of examples he went down to show that it was okay. It was quite all right when it was social justice or, oh, we're so glad the wicked witch is dead for Biden block parties, as they called them. But now when you want to go to church or you want to have a Thanksgiving, you go fuck yourself, Grandma Killer. And it was quite evident in our media. CDC put out a travel warning saying do not travel for Thanksgiving. 
Apparently, a lot of people are not listening. Not listening. They were getting out of town, a lot of packed airports, and this is in the midst, of course, this coronavirus crisis. And we have an outbreak we're in the midst of right now, showing no signs of slowing down. The raging pandemic and the urge to be with family and friends this Thanksgiving. Despite CDC guidance urging Americans not to travel for the Thanksgiving holiday, scenes like this in Phoenix and Chicago showed packed airports. Sometimes when you get a crowded plane, you're, you're, you're in a crowded airport, you're lining up, not everybody's wearing masks. That puts yourself at risk. New Jersey's governor limiting indoor gatherings to 10 people. An order one police chief says he won't enforce. I wasn't going to have my police officers going knocking on doors and ruining somebody's holiday just to check to see how many people are inside their house. This as America's frontline workers say they're already exhausted and fearful of what's to come. We definitely do not want to see Thanksgiving family get-togethers be Christmas family funerals. So the warnings are absolutely clear as we head into Thanksgiving. But no doubt these numbers are surprising and perhaps even troubling to a lot of people who hoped that many would just stay home, George. Yeah, it was surprising as well. You're right, Joe. Thanks very much. Um, as coronavirus surges out of control in nearly every single corner of the country, it looks like spaghetti has been spread all over the U.S. map. This morning, the number of cases in the U.S. has topped 12 million. The CDC is pleading with people to not travel for the Thanksgiving holiday. But 40% of Americans plan to attend a Thanksgiving dinner with 10 people or more, potentially creating super spreader events all over the country. So with just days to go before America's favorite holiday, I'm urging you not to be the turkey who puts your loved ones at risk. Jelani, I want to point this out. Thanksgiving has evolved in America just like Christmas, right? At one point, Christmas was a time where rich people opened up their houses for people to come in and get stuff. Thanksgiving has changed over time as well. I know in my family, I know several people who call it colonizer Christmas uh, because they don't really like the idea of what Thanksgiving represents. From a cultural and a historic standpoint, is it really that much of a disruption that we should maybe back off of Thanksgiving this year? Haven't we had other times where major holidays had to change because the nation was facing crisis? Sure. Or, or if you even think about it, that original Thanksgiving, uh, you know, where the colony was starving and, uh, you know, in anthropological research suggests uh, was in such dire conditions they had to resort to cannibalism uh, to remain alive. Uh, and, you know, it always has been kind of awkward to say that you commemorate that by stuffing yourself with as much food as you can find, uh, that maybe perhaps people have to actually think about a small sacrifice uh, that would be, uh, you know, fitting in, in keeping with this day. Despite a warning from the CDC this week that Americans should stay home for the holidays, millions of people are hitting the roads and boarding planes this weekend to gather for Thanksgiving. NBC's Blaine Alexander is at Atlanta's Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport, the busiest in the world. Blaine, good morning. Well, Willie, good morning to you. Initially, AAA had predicted that some 50 million Americans would travel this holiday season. The group now says that that number is going to be much lower after that guidance from the CDC has caused a lot of people to make some last-minute cancellations. But that is still not going to stop millions of people from traveling and gathering with extended family and all of us leaving health officials worried about another spike in cases. This morning, despite the warnings, the Thanksgiving holiday is giving way to the inevitable holiday travel. With the CDC sounding the alarm this week, urging all Americans to stay at home, crowded airports show that many are not listening. Nothing's stopping me. 
nothing. No one is six feet apart. Like, everyone's kind of three feet apart or two feet apart. It's horrible. Friday, the TSA processed more than a million passengers, only the second time hitting that threshold since the pandemic started in March. Still, AAA across the board, travel is down this year. Uh, when we look at air travel, that's down nearly 50%. So if people do decide to travel, the vast majority of them are going to go by car. Julia Gardner is one of them. It's definitely comforting that my test from this past week was negative. Like thousands of other college students, the Duke University sophomore is headed home until January, choosing an eight-hour car ride with friends over a potentially packed airport. Do you feel safe going home? The university is very proactive testing approach and also due to the students. I think that students there took COVID very seriously. Her school offers exit testing for students before they head home. And across the country, thousands of Americans are flocking to do the same. In Los Angeles, cars wrapped around Dodger Stadium. And in Washington State, the demand for testing has skyrocketed, as many as 50,000 test records per day, forcing the state's health department to temporarily stop reporting negative tests to clear the backlog. But doctors warn testing is not foolproof. The best way to stay healthy, stay at home. It's not safe to travel right now. It will be in a few months, but right now it's just too dangerous. Now, Willie, officials say that if you are choosing to gather with extended family this season, that's essentially anybody who hasn't shared your household for the last two weeks, that what you should do is stay in a separate area, ideally with your own separate bathroom, and wear masks when you're inside. Officials also say that what you should do is isolate on both sides of your trip, test as close to departure as possible, and then isolate once you get there for 72 hours or so and test again. But remember, none of this is guaranteed, Willie. Again, officials say that the safest course of action is to stay at home. But we're going to begin first with the millions of Americans ignoring warnings from the CDC not to travel tonight. A dangerous move that health experts are warning will send the deepening crisis into an even faster and deadlier tailspin. Tonight, one model used by the White House says Americans should expect the death toll to double by the 1st of March to nearly half a million people nationwide. With millions already on the road or in the air tonight, part of an estimated 50 million Americans expected to travel for Thanksgiving, experts say it is guaranteed that cases of coronavirus will soon explode even more than they are right now. Protests in California against Governor Gavin Newsom's mandatory four-week order to stay home from 10 at night to 5 a.m. People are angry, uh, and rightfully so, because what we continue to see is executive order after executive order, rather than the real leadership we need out of the governor. Officials call the curfew necessary as cases tripled in the last month. Record high hospitalizations and intensive care unit stays. But at least 16 police agencies refuse to enforce the order. I can tell you that the sheriff's deputies are not going to be out on foot or they're not going to be out in their vehicles looking for people between the hours of 10 and 6. A similar situation in Oregon where Governor Kate Brown said no more than six people from two unrelated households can gather at any one time or place, indoors or out. And if you witness any neighbors violating the rule, Brown says, call police. At this point in time, unfortunately, we have no other option. Several police agencies are pushing back as Thanksgiving approaches. If somebody calls in and says, my neighbor's got 10 people over at their house, we're not coming, said Pendleton police chiefs. What the fuck, Chuck? Maybe if you thought for a second that, why would we trust you? Why?
Why? I mean, here's just a tour. Uh, don't worry. I'm not going to read all these because it's long. I just did a tour of non-CNN. These are Vox. Vox headlines. How to have a safer but not safe pandemic Thanksgiving. Their next article. Th- the next COVID-19 super spreader. Thanksgiving. How the pandemic could change Thanksgiving. Uh, I handled holiday orders at grocery store. Trust me, the holidays are miserable. Poll, two in five Americans are likely to attend a large gathering and they're going to die. What will Thanksgiving look like this year? We asked a turkey farmer. It's horrible for the fucking climate. That's what that article said. America out of control COVID-19 surge explained in 600 words. Here are six things to consider about holiday travel. All of them. You're going to die. Then you go over to Slate. The perfect time to delete Instagrams right now. The pandemic holiday season is going to be tough. How to cancel the holidays without ruining them. Uh, sorry, I had a page freeze. If it happens there, America's annual festivals, pilgrims begin, and it shows how everybody's going to die. How to come out on Thanksgiving, because that's really important. I'm gay, pass the gravy, divide and conquer, bring a special friend. How to raise thankful kids. First item, accept their white privilege. The presidential turkey pardon insults the real people who deserve to be pardoned. Then we go to HuffPo. The environmental impact of your Thanksgiving. Because, you know, that's what I think about when I'm eating my turkey. Remember, we covered that a couple years ago. Large article why you should eat tofu. HuffPo calls to cancel turkey Thanksgiving over global warming and the online ridicule is a huge ratio. That was a companion piece to that. What to say to people who say you're being too safe amid COVID? Basically, you're listening to false information. It's disinformation. Everything we don't want you to believe is disinformation. I lost my dad to COVID-19. I'm begging you, please stay home. Katie Colt. Selfish monster GOP city council member vows to defy COVID-15, COVID-19 rules. He's a monster now. The most common way COVID-19 will spread during the holidays. Then we go to the root. The Caucasian Guide to Black Thanksgiving, part one, two, and three. We covered one a couple years ago. Eight things to keep in mind if you're at the woke tep, your family Thanksgiving. Go to the Atlantic. How to cancel Thanksgiving. 13 tips for politicizing your Thanksgiving plans. But I can't read it because they want me to pay for it. And that's, you go fuck yourself. Thanksgiving, a celebration of inequity. For decades, Gilded Age populists and secular crusaders criticized the holiday gospel of abundance. Vice. How to decolonize your Thanksgiving. Then we go to the unity factor. Because remember, it's all about unity now. Hope and changey has become unity. America, you listened to us. Or at least Google made you. So you elected 
the sock puppet that's going to do whatever the fuck we tell him to do. Charles Payne, from a college professor. You are a disingenuous asshole. I hope you have a huge Thanksgiving and everyone at it gets coronavirus. You are such an idiot. Make sure your whole family, including your grandparents, are there. And then you can play Russian roulette with their lives. His response, I am the grandparents and hope all five grandkids come over. They have been in isolation for months. I wear a mask outside home. If isolation and mask works, there should be no problem. But as it may, this person teaching young adults hopes my family dies to teach me a lesson. My reply, they are the fascists. I'm an independent. I'm not a Trumper. But for four years, they've verbally and physically assaulted 50% of the country. Either their vote, religion, lifestyle, opinion. The very same things they say they stand for, sadly. America will push back. And God help us. A same sentiment I gave to a friend's mother this morning. We're not going to take it much longer. I personally am on the brink of being told I'm a Nazi piece of shit because I'm having my son over. One person. He comes in the house all the time. But I'm a piece of shit. Replies to this on an article I found. Awful, the tolerant left, unity and healing. He seems nice and not at all like an unhinged rage harpy. For the record, Charles Payne's lovely and I hope we and his family have a great Thanksgiving. You literally picked who should die. Conservatives shut down Andrew Crotum down for trying to further shame Americans over Thanksgiving. Now understand, he is having his family over. He's been caught at it, but he doesn't really give a flying fuck, so he's just going to do it anyway. Here's his tweet. Next Thanksgiving, you'll ask yourself, did I do everything I could to keep my community safe? Be smart and safe this Thanksgiving so that we will all have more to be thankful for next year. Replies to this fucking jackass. Because of you, a lot of families are without their grandparents. What? Like putting grandpa and grandpa in a nursing home to die? This Thanksgiving, many in New York are celebrating without grandmas and grandpas. You mass-murdering freak. Nice propaganda. Not taking advice from a grim reaper of New York. You picked who would die by prohibiting COVID testing for people being moved into nursing home. It was prohibited. You will not outrun your actions. What the actual fuck is wrong with these people? You won the election. You can stop using COVID as a cudgel and just be honest now. It's got a low death rate. We're all going to get it. Let's move on. But no, 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 no. We're still cudgeling. Cudgeling. Here is the media. The GSA lifted its revenge block that it had on behalf of Trump. This is a victory for democracy. But the lesson is in how we got here. Even this move is proof of what we must stomp out in our politics. The GSA head writes, I've always strived to do what's right. Please know that I came to my decision independently, based on the law and available facts. I was never directly or indirectly pressured by any executive branch official, including those who work at the White House or GSA, with regard to the substance or timing of my decision. Carefully worded 
and with good reason. You know why? She was just doing her job. She was refusing to do her job. And on what basis? There was no legitimate basis. There were no facts she could draw on to question the results or the apparent winner. So what did she base it on? She was never pressured. Then how about this tweet that followed right after her transition? Trump tweeted, I told her to do this. I'm not going to read it. There's no need to anymore. Lie, defy, deny. Not a single GOPer has called out Trump's savaging of our democracy. Know that. Now, the election is released from the grip of this gripe that Trumpers hold. Now, we can get to the real fight for relief for all of those suffering and literally going hungry in the richest country in the world. Maybe some plans, resources in fighting the pandemic and figuring out our panic approach to school. Look, a president who cares about the problems will admit them and give you the truth about them is already a positive step. Our job here is to hold this administration to doing exactly that, and we will. But it is also the job not to be so focused on the desperate need to move forward that we forget how we got here. If we don't expose and hold those who allowed this travesty to happen, if we don't hold them to account, They'll just keep doing what Trump demands. Not with chuckles. That's not going to be me. Oh, come on, Senator. Isn't that too cute by half, Congressman? No. What happened here was ugly and intentional. And the response must be served directly and cold. All those who stood silent and pretended this was just about style or things that they wouldn't say, but he can, and that there were legitimate issues to litigate, they knew better. They never offered you a piece of proof, and they never asked for any either. Sixteen days were stolen. How many of you paid the price of this inaction, of this cowardice, of this economic pain that they did nothing about? And now they say, oh, the kind of scrutiny Cuomo's talking about, it makes us victims once and for all. Shut up. Remember what your job is, do it or get out. And you I had a lot of conversations before this with Republicans who privately said at the end of the day, if he loses, we are not going to we are not going to let the ship go down in flames. The ship being the Republican Party. Well, I mean, and they are letting the ship go down. Uh, they're on it with Donald Trump. Uh, not only actively, uh, actually, not only the Republican Party, but also the conservative movement. We I, I couldn't even imagine Marxists trying to pull this off in America. But Donald Trump's Republican Party is because they, they're trying to conduct a coup. And in the state of Georgia, where there is now a civil war. Well, I mean, I don't know if it matters to the Republicans at all, but that the backdrop to this is very bad short term news on the coronavirus and the numbers they, surging they all over care. the place and the care. president tweeting all weekend long about himself and about the election he wants to steal. That's who they're they aligning with. They don't with. care about all the people dying. So there was break. They, they really, because if they did, <laughs> they would let Joe Biden start working I, his transition so they could start getting the vaccines ready and they can make up a plan to distribute vaccines from across the to across the country yeah. to 300 million people to get the economy started again. Mm -hmm. 
to get the economy started again. But they don't care. This is all about Donald Trump. People calling into Rush Limbaugh saying they're ready to die for Donald Trump. Really? Is this Jonestown? People are dying. Really? Yeah. You, you don't have to say you're willing to die for Donald Trump because hundreds of thousands of people already have died because of Donald Trump. And it's only going to get worse. Oh, my God. Hey, how you oh doing? Oh, my God, Murphy. How you doing? Such a dick. You're having you fun are. with your family. In the meantime, you're having all kind of other bullshit oh, going on. No, no, I'm not drunk. As a matter of fact, put your mask on. You can go fuck yourself. How's that? Well, I don't need a mask. mask on. You know why I don't need a mask? Because there ain't nothing like fucking Trump, wrong with me. I like your Trump. Phone you're case. fucking right. Yes, your Trump likes. He likes my dad. Yeah, yeah, he do, no, he doesn't like your oh, phone. He does. He does. Get the fuck out of here. I think they're stuck. I don't think they can realize they can move on now. I think they're just really stuck on this because it worked so well. A lot of people voted for Biden not knowing a damn thing he was going to do because of COVID. And they were so afraid of COVID. The first thing I want to cover is this. Are COVID patients... Gasping, it isn't real as they die. We covered it break briefly, but Wired did an article, and I want to. It took me forever to find this because it's been buried down the rabbit hole. Because of course CNN didn't vet this person. This person is a total fucking liar. But here was that nurse, supposedly from South Dakota, a red state. Of course, we never do stories about blue states. It's always red states. Because Christy Nome's becoming popular. We can't have that. She's a woman. She's a minority. Sweet googly goo. That would be horrible if she became popular and people actually wanted to vote for her to president because then we wouldn't be able to say, oh, sexist, uh, racist. Uh, oh, no, can't have it. So here, here's the soundbite. But sure to describe what she's seeing on the front lines in South Dakota is Jody Doring. She's a registered nurse who has called the coronavirus crisis in her state, quote, a horror movie that never ends. Um, nurse Doring, thank you so much for being here. When I read some of your tweets, my <laughs> jaw dropped. You said that even now that the, the hospital is being overrun with COVID patients. They come in. They're horribly ill. They're gasping for breath. And yet they don't believe they have COVID. Yeah, I think the hardest thing to watch is that people are still looking for something else and they want a magic answer and they don't want to believe that COVID is real. And the reason I tweeted what I did is it wasn't one particular patient. It's just a culmination of so many people and their last dying words are, um, this can't be happening. It's not real. And when they should be spending time FaceTiming their families, they're filled with anger and hatred, and it just made me really sad the other night. And um, I just can't believe that those are going to be their last thoughts and words. Anger and hatred towards you? Um, you know, I think it's just uh, a belief that it's not real, and nursing happens to be on the receiving end of that. And that's okay. We can take that. That's what you're there for. It's just in the bigger picture when you try to reason with people of, can I call your family, your kids, your wife, your friend, your brother, and they say, no, because I'm going to be fine, and you're watching their oxygen levels, um, you know, maxed out on what we call vapotherm at 100%, and their oxygen level might be 75. That's not really that compatible with life, and we know where that's going to head, and it just makes you um, sad and mad and frustrated 
and then you know that you're just gonna come back and do it all over again and um so yeah that's kind of where that stemmed from how could it not make your own head explode they're gasping for breath (laughs) their oxygen levels are dropping what do they think is wrong with them you know i think people look for anything um people want it to be um influenza they want it to be pneumonia they want it to be I mean, we've even had people say, well, I think maybe it might be lung cancer. I mean, something so far-fetched. And the reality is since day one, when COVID started in this area in March, you've kind of been able to say if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck, it's a duck. Like, I hate to tell you that you have COVID, but that's what you have. You know, even after positive results come back, some people just don't believe it. Now, that's not everybody. We have a lot of patients who are very, very grateful for their care and very thankful for what you do, but unfortunately, that's not what I'm remembering right now, and as my nursing career, um, that, that's not what I want to be remembered, be remembering for. I, I want to remember the saves and the happy situations, and what I was remembering, chilling on the couch the other night with my dog was not that. Of course not. I mean, of course not, and it's just so mind-blowing to think yeah. that they would rather have lung cancer. They'd rather a diagnosis <laughs> yeah. Yeah. of lung cancer. And of coronavirus. Yeah. And so, I mean, you've said that it just, I mean, if I quote you from morning television, yeah. it's an effing horror movie that you live every day. And so what toll yeah. is this taking on you? Yeah, hindsight, um, I didn't realize that this was going to go viral. I probably could have left the F-bomb out of there. But the reality is that's how you feel. And so um, it, it is like it's just a, a movie where the credits never roll. You, you just do it all over again. And it's... Um, hard and sad because every hospital, every nurse, every doctor in this state is seeing the same things. These people get sick in the same way. You treat them in the same way. They die in the same way. And then you do it over again. And we're so thankful for um, the lessons we've learned along the way. And we're doing a good job of taking care of the people that come in. And um, we're managing our patient loads um, here right now. Sometimes it's day to day, sometimes it's hour to hour. Um, But the reality is that right now it's not getting better. You said just um, as you started the show, you know, 50 to 60% positivity rate. I mean, our entire state has 880,000 people. It doesn't take much to do the math on that for how many of us are sick. Now I understand the COVID bumper there. I played some rando walking up to the New Jersey governor and calling him a fucking asshole because people are getting sick of this shit. Most of it's a fucking lie, and everybody knows it's a fucking lie. They do whatever the fuck they want. That asshole was outside eating with a group, but we're, you know, you can't do that. Who the fuck are you to go outside and eat? We're going to close that down now. So... An ER nurse, antidote of deranged denialism, went viral. But when the media caught wind of the story, reporters didn't do their job. A desperate outraged Twitter thread from a South Dakota emergency room nurse went viral last weekend, landing an author in live interview on CNN. When I read some of your tweets, my jaw drops. The host told Jody Deering, referring to her account of gravely ill patient who screamed at you for magic medicine and that Joe Biden's going to ruin the USA all while gasping for breath. Yeah, that's what people say when they're dying. 
the reason I tweeted what I did is what wasn't one particular patient. It's just a culmination of so many people and their last dying words are, this can't be happening. It's not real. And when they should be spending time, FaceTime, blah, 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 blah. These were astonishing statements and not surprisingly, they captured attention. A million multiple U.S. senators, Pulitzer Prize winning journalists were among the throng who tweeted out the CNN interview, which was also written up by the Washington Post and other mainstream outlets. This is the cost of disinformation, wrote Arul Gwande, a New Yorker contributor and member of Joe Biden's coronavirus task force. Warren said some. There's no doubt that we owe a deep debt of gratitude to Jody Deering and all the frontline medical personnel dealing with the current surge of COVID case. The work they do is truly heroic. Still, the manner in which Doring account of her experience has been reported and circulated should give people pause. Her statement that she watched so many people die from the disease even as they deny its very existence, endlessly repeated on social media and presented by news outlets with corroboration, which seem to represent a broader phenomenon. But other nurses who work in similar settings say they've seen nothing like that. I called a number of hospitals in the same part of South Dakota to ask emergency room nurses if they noticed the same disturbing phenomenon. At Avra Wakosa Memorial Hospital, about 20 minutes from Durings' hometown of Wanasak, Socket, Wound Socket, Woosucket. I don't know how to say it. An ER nurse told me, I have not had that experience here. At my request, Kim Rieger, the VP for Communication and Marketing at Huron Regional Medical Center, one of the four medical facilities where Doring works, spoke with several nurses at Huron to get their reaction to the CNN interview. None said they interacted with COVID patients who denied having the disease. Most patients are grateful and thankful to have their help. I have not experienced this, nor have I been told of an experience like this. That is in no way means that Mary uh, Doring's account is untrue, but it provides a minimum, some important context that was completely absent from CNN and the rest of the media. Little and no effort was made to assess the scope of the problem that Doring so memorably described. How many COVID-19 patients in South Dakota are so blinkering by disinformation they're raised with their caregivers? Allison Camerata, the CNN anchor who conducted the interview, is an Emmy Award-winning journalist from Fox! She used to be conservative. What does that say about her? Tracy Cotton, and she was a piece of shit, so said CNN. Tracy Connor covered the story at the Daily Beast as the publication's executive editor. They simply repeated the antidotes, framed as an astounding embodiment of red state denialism. The Washington Post article quotes at length from Dury's tweets and TV interviews and claims without providing any further evidence that COVID patients seen by other healthcare workers, are reluctant to acknowledge that they've been infected with the virus by Trump. Perhaps it's worth considering that Huron Regional Medical Center has seen a total of six deaths. Beetle County, where Huron is located, has registered 22 deaths, 13 of which occurred since August 1st. And in Sanborn County, where Doring lives, there's been one death. In fact, the episode has some similarities to other weekly sourced accounts of COVID denialism in states that voted Republican. In July, we heard reports of rampant COVID parties. One version of the story is college students Tuscaloosa partying with infected guests and then betting on who else would catch the virus. Another took the form of a secondhand account from a nurse in San Antonio. 30-year-old patient was said to have admitted just before he died that he'd gotten sick by going to COVID party. I thought it was a hoax, he allegedly said. As Wired Glenn Enman reported at the time, none of these were true. 
Yet each has been picked up from its original source and amplified by larger publications that added little to no additional reporting. There's good reason these stories to be passed along, Edmund wrote. The hospital administrator who first went public with the story of the last breath COVID party confession, trying desperately to get the American people to take the coronavirus seriously. So we lied. Not read anymore. That's that's our media. They've been doing this and spreading disinformation about COVID to fear the public to stay home so they can make you vote by mail. Don't say that wasn't the plan. As one of my favorite movies, Red Dawn says, Russians don't take a dump without a plan, son. Democrats don't take a dump without a plan. They thought this out. They knew if they could keep you at the house, they could ballot harvest and throw ballots in the garbage. They could mail whole voting rolls, whether they were fucking confirmed or not, out and people would return them. And they'd win. Mail-in voting benefits Democrats. They say it themselves. But to date... When you take every goddamn death that happens in America, including the flu, and say it's COVID. And there's so much anecdotal evidence of that happening that you can't even say that's not happening. Because then we federalized it and you could get money if you had COVID deaths. So, you know, Capitalism 101 says hospitals are going to do this. And then you run all these false stories while all the elites from the Democratic Party getting caught doing everything they're saying you're not supposed to do. It goes back to what we talked about in the last podcast. This is all about credibility. I do not think Donald Trump walked around saying COVID isn't real. But for political purposes, of course the left said that's what he was saying. That's what the media portrayed, because as we'll see in the election, and especially the Tucker article, they knew it was a winner-winner chicken dinner. D-bag alert. Blue check SJW doc busted using old pick and ugly COVID thread. Cleveland MD, just as active alcoholics with terminal liver disease or refused liver transplants, people who don't follow preventable public health measures against COVID-19 should be the last to get hospital beds. Oh, Jesus Christ, we're going back down here again. Is this you in this picture? Sorry, we have limited oxygen tanks, BiPAP machines, and ICU beds. Please wait in the waiting room, and we'll notify you when treatment for selfish people is available. It's a picture. What state are you from? North Dakota? You were supposed to stay home. Sorry, we have limited oxygen tanks, BiPAP machines, blah, blah, blah. It's a trailer park. Nice try, Doc. Three tips to avoid snowbird crowds in January. He took pictures from five and a half years ago. Pocono Raceway in Pennsylvania and said they were red states. This is kind of like the kids in cages from 2012, uh, CSing fucking immigrants from 2012. We've been doing this since 2016. We're going to keep doing this because it works. People are stupid and you can't Google it. Google's just going to push, yeah. It's just not during 
every patient in a red state as they're dying. COVID's not real. Even if a person thought COVID wasn't real, I'm pretty sure when they're dying from it, they know it's real. Go get a warrant. Business owners in Buffalo went to stand off with the cops. I'm going to play this one live. People actually work for their money, and they don't want to lose their livelihood. I've lost friends, I've lost family who killed themselves. I've seen clients die because they've lost their livelihood. I'm sorry to hear that. I know you are, and I'm just a parent. I'm asking for you to guys have some compassion for the people that have lost everything. We do have compassion for people. Who okay, well, you need to go have compassion out in the parking lot. This is private property. This is, this is private property. This is private property. It's private property. Go get a warrant. Listen, man, this is private property. They're not wanted here. So do your jobs. Well, her job is. Well, no, no, your you job is to remove people that are not wanted here. They're wanted here. They're not. You have a hand in your name, don't worry about my health. Going back to my favorite movie again. This shit will get out of control and people will die. Red Dawn. It's going to happen. People are done with this. In Minnesota, you now face 90 days in jail or a $1,000 fine if you socialize, speak, or hang out with someone who does not live in your home, whether inside your home or anywhere else, including outdoors. If you threaten to do so anyway, you face a $25,000 fine. Governor Waltz in Minnesota. What activities and establishment are paused? Social gatherings of their households, in-person dining, adult and youth sports, fitness gyms, and other activities that bring people together. Bowling alleys, bingo hall, theaters, reception parties, other celebration, outdoor events, and entertainment. Gavin Newsom. Due to the rise in COVID-19, California is issuing a limited stay-at-home order. Non-essential work and gatherings must stop from 10 to 5 a.m. in counties in the purple tier. This will take effect at 10 p.m. on Saturday and remain for one month. Together, we can flatten the curve again. Because we already flattened it once, but now we're curving again. Because you people won't do what we say. The funniest part is he did it in the county he got caught doing his party that was supposedly outside and was just amongst friends. And then the picture broke, and then he apologized. Babylon B. Newsom announces curfew, so he won't have to wait in long lines at fancy restaurants. That's so fucking good. So fucking good. L.A. County bans outdoor dining, provides no scientific backup. L.A. County spends outdoor dining at restaurants coronavirus surges to reduce the possibility for crowding and the potential for exposure in settings where people are not wearing the face coverings. Restaurant, breweries, wineries, and bars will only be able to take drive through and curve service. Wineries and breweries may continue their retail operation adhering to current protocols and person dining will not be allowed for the next three weeks. Bill Menguin. L.A. County messaging has been all over the place since the beginning, despite paying PR firms $3 million. They now announce a knockout blow to restaurants via tweet and provide zero supporting scientific backing. Alex Michelson. I feel so bad for the L.A. County restaurants who have followed the rules and spent extra money to comply with new regulations and are seeing their businesses destroyed by irresponsible people spreading COVID at house parties, protest and other unregulated gatherings. I'd be curious to see the science that differentiates between an average 3,900 cases, 4,000 cases, and 4,500 cases in a county of 10 million. 
Where did these arbitrary thresholds come from? The worst part about this is these people prepared for Thanksgiving. Motherfuckers bought 30 turkeys. Yeah, I'm about to work on the mic. The mic's in a new spot now, so you're probably hearing me spit, so I got to dip in. Sorry. What the fucking fuck? COVID-19 devastates California small business. Here are three that didn't survive. It goes on for 30 now. It's a running article. A running article. Because so many are gone. Oregon governor tells residents to call cops on people violating COVID. Uh, Once again, in a state where you can smoke crack, literally... How are you going to enforce you had Thanksgiving, you piece of shit? You're a garbage human, but the guy freebasing toilet bowl cleaner is a good person. That's legal conduct. Pennsylvania governor announcement about alcohol sales is the craziest thing I've ever heard. Today I'm announcing efforts to slow the spread of COVID as cases reach critical levels. They include a recommitment to school safety, projection for business and employees, or protection, sorry, reduce gatherings, enforcement of mask wearing, and advisory encouraging PNs to stay home. PA Secretary of Health, Dr. Rachel Levin, who looks like a fucking walrus and is about as unhealthy as you possibly could be, has issued a one-night suspension of alcohol sales starting at 5 p.m. Wednesday, November 25th, which is the night before Thanksgiving. On Wednesday, November 25th, restaurants and bars are ordered to suspend alcohol sales at 5 p.m. until 8 a.m. on Thursday, November 26th, Governor Wolf said. The Wednesday before Thanksgiving is the biggest day for drinking and acknowledge bars and restaurants have been hit hard by the pandemic. The thing we can't do is ignore reality and say, yeah, you folks have no fault of your own, have been hit hardest by the virus. But the virus is what's doing this. It's not me. It's not the administration. It's not the government ruining you. It's COVID. Kyle Beckley, the raw and arbitrary exercise of power is an intoxicant. The science suggests not a damn thing. There's no logical explanation for their oppressive edicts. I do not consume any alcohol and see this for what it is. Cruel control of citizen. What the fuck is the logic behind this? These are all replies. What just, which just means the stores will be more crowded Tuesday night. Are we seriously going to end up with speakeasies in the 2020s? Cue the mad rush for people to buy booze tonight and tomorrow because more causing more COVID spread. We need to do something is not a sound way to make policy. And that is a hundred percent true. 100% true. Politicians pushing lockdown have never lost a paycheck. Waffle House CEO throws down the gauntlet. Steve Cortez, Waffle House CEO on the credible harm lockdowns inflict on working class people. Those pushing for harsh restrictions are almost all credential class elites who don't suffer personal, professional consequences. As COVID cases surge across the U.S., Waffle House CEO Walt Elmer does not want to shut down indoor dining, and he really does not want the government to force him to do so. A lockdown is going to put a lot of people out of work. It's not really not about the business. It's about the people. These people have jobs. They have livelihoods. They need to take care of their families. All but two Waffle Houses, 1,920 locations across America are currently serving food indoors, with roughly 700 Waffle House locations temporarily shuttered during early pandemic lockdowns, putting 28,000 people out of a job. 
only 20 remain closed. The only reason we think we would shut a dining room down at this point is if the local government made us do so. Thunder sticks. Pretty standard from government officials. Mandate policies they sem- themselves will not suffer the direct consequences from. They're insulated from all the damage and destruction they perpetuate onto others without even thinking twice about it. And then this article, which nobody picked up, Camerata didn't run a story on it, is scary. 60 minutes. A source I usually wouldn't work. The 78 largest school districts couldn't account for 240,000 students at the beginning of the year. From the article, here in Hillsborough County, we're missing 7,000 students, Laura Tucker said as she heads out to find students who are unaccounted for. Some of them just aren't doing school, and you can get away with it right now, and that's really scary, says social worker Laura Tucker about students who have not enrolled in brick-and-mortar schools. 60-minute compiled enrollment data from 78 of the largest school districts, 240,000 are unaccountable. It was very difficult, but I tried to make it work as best as I could, said high school teacher Kiera who struggled to keep up with her schoolwork when her family ended up living in a single hotel room. Sometimes she walks to a local park to study. Numerous school districts told 60 Minutes that their largest decrease in enrollment resulting from the pandemic is pre-K and kindergarten. It's too early to know how the disruption will cause in their education. This fall, social worker Laura Tucker, who was looking students looking students who hadn't re-enrolled in school, found many families in motels because shelters were full. There's a little boy living in that apartment, not going to school, according to the neighbors, where he's my Antoine or my Antoine. We're going to get a student in school, so it's a good day, said Laura Tucker. But does the media cover that? No. They're going to red states to try to keep the politics of this going for the Democratic Party. Patrick Breen rattled was just accosted while taking photos at a baseball tournament in Mesa. Parents yelled for me not to take pictures of their kid. I agreed and asked which kid was theirs. They didn't want to say and said I did, if they did, they'd kick my ass. They yelled I was a fake news, and I was taking pictures of little boys that I was a pedophile. They said I wasn't reporting on how they stole the election. I replied that I was just a photographer doing my job. I simply tried to explain that I was taking photos for Arizona Republic and wouldn't take photos of the kids that they didn't want. They kept yelling, told me to walk away, which is what I ended up doing as they continued to accuse me of being a child predator. I'm shaking. More because I just want people to understand that I'm not their enemy. I love my community. I love telling their stories for pictures, leaving defeated. I didn't want them to think they shouted me away, but more aggressive parents were eyeing me. So here I am in the parking lot at a public park on Mesa feeling ashamed for doing one of my favorite things in the world, taking pictures. If we all were just little kindler, people, the so many responses. I'll just read the one. When media call regular people Nazis for four years... There are consequences. And these are the consequences. I mean, what the fuck do you expect when every story has a political angle so you can get Biden elected and all these protests going to go on uncriticized? Oh, no. 
anti-police protests and everybody's a fucking racist protest are fucking COVID free, baby. They knew what you were doing. You're going to take pictures of the baseball and say, guarantee everybody here is going to get COVID. Because you're still running articles about Sturgis, you fucking cocksuckers. Three of them this week. Based on models. You have no proof. Nobody from Sturgis is going to tell you they got COVID. So as we go to our first break, let's listen to some more. uh, These people are supposed to be in charge of me. Um, uh, Let me see. Which one am I going to play? So uh, in the spirit of this is our Thanksgiving show, uh, our listening assignments today are going to be stupid things I found on YouTube. So the first one is seven ways to talk to your racist uncle at Thanksgiving paired like a good Chablis with the harsh truth about Thanksgiving, which is a racist holiday. And then we'll come into our segment of Tucker. It's 13 minutes. But God damn it, if you've been listening to this show, I said they were going to do it in 2016. I played the, the video of the Google goddamn meeting. And guess what? Six million votes. Get ready to choke down some dry turkey, drown your sorrows in boxed wine, and roll your eyes at your family so hard you get permanent ocular damage. It's the holidays. Hey, Feminist Killjoys, this episode is going to be a quick one because we know you're dying to get back to slap fighting with your older brother, napping on your childhood twin bed, and pretending to go to the store for more ice so you can smoke in your car. So here we go. Seven ways to talk to your racist uncle during the holidays. Who keeps inviting him anyway? Number one, don't just leave the room when your racist uncle says something offensive. Make sure he and everyone around you knows why you're leaving the room. Look him in the eye and say, that was incredibly racist. Then get up and leave. Maybe knock something off the table as you go. Or even better yet, flip the whole table over. It's always been a dream of mine to flip a table. Number two, recognize that keeping the peace is just code for emotional manipulation. You don't owe it to your racist uncle to let him spew hot garbage over the dressing and sweet potato pie just because your mom doesn't want any drama at the table. No free dinner is worth that. Number three, remember that it's literally impossible to say and do racist things and still be a good guy. Your racist uncle may hand-knit socks for sick puppies while delivering Meals on Wheels to shut-ins, but he still thinks all Muslims are terrorists and that black-on-black crime is to blame for all the problems of the inner city. He's not a good guy. At best, he's a racist who is occasionally not terrible when his schedule permits. Number four, revoke your racist uncle's past to be awful simply because he comes from an earlier time. Racism, sexism, homophobia, ableism, discrimination against trans folks, These things have always been wrong. But also, it's 2017. How long is your racist uncle going to hide behind the fact that he had a really good year in 1967 and can't move past the good old days? Number five, enlist the non-terrible members of your family in challenging your racist uncle with you. Why are you the only one who has to make a stand? Tell your sister to pause the DVR on the football game, back you up, and act like a decent human being for once. And if there are no non-terrible members of your family that you can join forces with, Why are you even still wasting your precious air miles on them? Why not start a new holiday tradition with that friend who's staying at home drinking boxed wine? Number six, tell your family in advance, if our racist uncle comes out with something shady during this visit, I'm definitely going to say something. Your family already thinks you're an entitled, millennial, easily triggered snowflake. You might as well lean into their ideas about you and remind them that you actually stand for something. Number seven, 
if you haven't been knocked into a trip to Fancoma and feel up to it, sit your racist uncle down and gently educate him. Sometimes people are willing to be taught. Don't expend all your time and energy fighting the good fight if he's not receptive. But if your racist uncle truly doesn't understand why something he just said is messed up, hey, maybe explain it to him. Maybe he'll listen, and then next year, you can both gang up on your racist grandma. We know it's hard to make waves during the holidays, but trust us, it's worth it, hopefully. And the first time is the hardest. We can't just keep upping our Klonopin intake to get through soul-draining visits with the shady family we avoid 11 and a half months of the year, only to see the small gains we've made in our mental health evaporate as soon as Uncle Chester opens up about something he read on Breitbart. Klonopin is expensive. Hope you're surviving the holidays. Please share this video with other friends who might also need a little advice on how to deal with their racist uncle. I love the idea of Thanksgiving. I love the idea of a day of gratitude and spending time with your family. And I actually love the weird food. What I don't like is uh, the underlying tragedy and genocide that we ignore on that day. Why do we put our children in costumes of people that showed up and robbed graves and did terrible things and brought disease and and, and just took things, you know, took land from people who were already here. To set up children from the age of preschool to believe that it's right and okay to just take everything is actually truly horrible. It's teaching appropriation from the very beginning. So no wonder, you know, when they get to high school, they think it's fine to wear the, these headdresses, to wear, you know, things they should not be wearing, and to have these sports names. We start them at the age of two with these innocent, sweet Thanksgiving songs but we create the appropriators of tomorrow. <laughs> I thought I knew a lot as an indigenous person about Thanksgiving, and the reality is, like nothing we've been told is true in just one fact, you know? Like certain things did happen, but all of these things didn't happen in the way we've ever been told. It's like all the best, like, fake news, right? They took things that happened, you know, like, certainly lots of separatists, which we now call pilgrims, and different Native folks have had meals. <laughs> but, you know, there's so many different um, times that that possibly happened that we're referencing. There were so many political reasons that Thanksgiving, the mythology of Thanksgiving kept morphing over the centuries to fulfill political agendas, right? Just like today. I think the hardest thing for Americans today and the reason that Native Americans and Native American history and issues get left out so often is because it hasn't ended. We can point to different things and say we fixed that. Um, We're all still complicit in standing on stolen land. It isn't done. We've actually been told, like my people for instance, have been told by the Supreme Court, yes, you're right. The government did violate their treaties and this still is your land, yet they just won't give it back. The first step is just to know whose land you're on. You need to know which lands, whose nation you're standing on. Figure out who the indigenous people are in your land and then start to get to know about them. Start to figure out how you can make reparations. People get really scared when you talk about reparations, but I think there's so many ways that you, with your current resources, can reach out and say, what can I do to be of service? How can I help? Is there anything I have within my means that would be helpful to your people? And maybe it's just education. Maybe it's getting your kids' teachers to stop doing these terrible, racist, horrible Thanksgiving pageants they do. You know, I don't know what it is, but everybody has a capacity to give back something. 
and you need to start with knowing who you need to give it back to. And if everyone just did that on Thanksgiving, we would be eons ahead in this country than we've ever been in the history since, you know, Columbus showed up. Just like the ones I used to know Chestnuts roasting on an open fire Jack Frost nipping at your nose Yuletide carols being sung by choir And folks dressed up like Eskimos Everybody knows It's the most wonderful time of the year Silver bells Silver Just like the ones I used to know Memories, Christmas memories They're the sweetest ones I know Merry Christmas from Flyover Politic Podcast Welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. You've heard a lot over the past few days about the security of our electronic voting machines. And this is a real issue, no matter who raises it or who tries to dismiss it out of hand as a conspiracy theory. Electronic voting is not as secure as traditional hand counting, period. It never will be as secure. Voters can see this because it's obvious and it makes them nervous. And why wouldn't it make them nervous? Our leaders have given us every reason not to trust technology. The people now telling us to stop asking questions about voting machines are the same ones who claimed that our phones weren't listening to us. They lie. We all know that. Other countries understand it. They don't use electronic voting because they know it undermines confidence in democracy. A system cannot function if no one trusts the vote. And that's true here, too, as we're finding out. Going forward, we need to find out exactly what happened in this month's presidential election. We need to find out no matter how long it takes the investigation to unfold or how much it costs. And once we get answers from that investigation, we ought to revert immediately to the traditional system of voting, the one that served our democracy for hundreds of years. What we're doing now is not working. That's an understatement. As of tonight, the state of New York still hasn't managed to count the votes in five House races, thanks to mail-in voting. That's a disaster. Let's stop pretending that it's not. 
But at the same time, we shouldn't let our focus on voting machines distract us from all that happened earlier this month. The 2020 presidential election was not fair. No honest person would claim that it was fair. On many levels, the system was rigged against one candidate and in favor of another. And it was rigged in ways that were not hidden from view. We all saw it happen. The media openly colluded with the Democratic nominees. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris refused to explain what they would do if they were elected. That's never happened before in any presidential election in American history. But the media allowed them to do it. At the same time, beginning in the spring, Democrats used our public health emergency for nakedly partisan ends. They made their own donors fantastically richer. Jeff Bezos alone saw his net worth jump by more than $70 billion during the pandemic. Then Democrats used the coronavirus to change our system of voting. They vastly increased the number of mail-in ballots because they knew their candidates would benefit from less secure voting. And they were right. They used the courts to neutralize the Republican Party's single most effective get-out-the-vote operation, which for generations had been the National Rifle Association. Not enough has been written about this, but anyone on the ground saw it. Thanks to legal harassment from the left, the NRA played a vastly reduced role in this election, and that made a huge difference in swing states like Pennsylvania and others. But above all, Democrats harnessed the power of big tech to win this election. Virtually all news and all information in the English-speaking world travels through a single company, Google. A huge percentage of our political debates take place on Facebook and Twitter. If you use technology to censor the ideas that people are allowed to express online, ultimately you control how the population votes. And that's exactly what they did. They rigged the election in front of all of us, and nobody did anything about it. Dr. Robert Epstein saw this coming. Epstein is one of the world's foremost experts on the effect of big tech on politics. Epstein is not a partisan Trump supporter. In fact, he's a Democrat. But he believes in democracy, and for years he has warned that Silicon Valley could steal this election. This is what he said when we spoke to him about a year ago. Uh, Google and similar companies like Facebook are, are completely unregulated in the United States, so they can do whatever they please. And if they all work together in 2020 to support the same presidential candidate, which is very likely, and probably it'll be a candidate that I support, by the way, uh, they can shift yes. upwards of 15 million votes uh, with no one knowing that they've been manipulated and without leaving a paper trail for authorities to trace. Dr. Epstein has tracked the effect he says Google has had on this month's presidential election, and he joins us now to explain what he's found. Doctor, thanks so much for coming on. What effect sure. do you think have you measured of big tech on the voting outcome this month? Well, a couple of things uh, that we've looked at so far. First of all, we, we had 733 field agents in three key swing states this year, uh, Arizona, North Carolina, and Florida. And we preserved more than 500,000 ephemeral experiences. Uh, that's a lot. That's about 30 times more data than we got in 2016. And we're finding a couple of things that are pretty clear. Number one is that Google's search results were strongly biased in favor of liberals and Democrats. This was not true on Bing or Yahoo. The bias was being shown to pretty much every demographic group we looked at, including 
conservatives. Uh, so in fact, conservatives got slightly more liberal bias in their search results than liberals did. How do you account for that? And then we also found what seems to be a smoking gun. That is, we found a period of days when the vote reminder on Google's homepage was being sent only to liberals. Not one of our conservative field agents received a vote reminder during those days. The good news is, uh, on that fourth day that we were monitoring, we went public with some of our findings and Google backed off. They literally shut off that manipulation that night. And so for four days before the election, they were showing vote reminders to everyone, finally. What effect, and I, 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 we're thankful that you are apparently the only person monitoring this. It, it controls our, our, Google single-handedly controls our view of the world, and yet no one seems to care. But what do you imagine the effects, what have you measured the effect of this manipulation had on the outcome of the election? Well, there are multiple manipulations here. We were also monitoring YouTube this time and Facebook and Bing and Yahoo. Uh, the bottom line at the moment is that these manipulations, the ones that we've so far quantified, uh, could easily have shifted at least six million votes in just one direction. That's the bare minimum at this point that I'm confident of. The maximum, we haven't even begun to uh, to estimate that yet because we have so much data to look at. So that's the margin of the election right there. So you're saying that what you feared could happen may indeed have happened, that the manipulations from one company, Google, may have determined the outcome of the presidential election. Well, we've been told this uh, for nearly a year by whistleblowers from Google. We've seen it in leaked documents from Google, leaked videos from Google. Uh, there's no question that they set about after the 2016 election uh, to make sure that President Trump, whom I do not support, by the way, to make sure that he is not reelected. And the massive amount of data we've collected is consistent with what the whistleblowers and leaks have been telling us for a long time now. So, yes, the answer is yes. So why is this not at the top of the concern of anybody who cares about democracy. Why are we allowing this to happen, do you think? Unfortunately, the answer is pretty obvious. Uh, uh, Google literally buys um, candidates and, and politicians, and, and my, my colleagues, my fellow academics, are often uh, bought by Google with large grants. So, uh, you know, the fact is that uh, if you're a Democrat or you're a liberal, you like what Google and, to some extent, these other tech companies are doing. You like it. It's, it's to your advantage. You know, the problem, though, is that we don't know who Google is going to be supporting tomorrow. And, in fact, in different countries around the world, they don't necessarily support liberals. In some countries, they support conservatives. In China, they've worked with the Chinese government to help surveil and control the Chinese population. This is the story right here. Dr. Epstein, I, I hope that you get the funding that you need to continue this research. I think it's uh, hard to think of many things more important, and I hope that changes are made immediately. Well, this is well the we've end. moved Great into Georgia, so we're now monitoring the Georgia runoff. So we're, we're doing our best. I hope that you will. Thank you. So big tech clearly influenced the outcome in this election.
that should be shocking and unacceptable to anyone who believes in democracy or good government, and yet it was essentially celebrated by the national media, which shared the goal of removing Trump from office. Cheryl Atkinson is the author of the book Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism. She joins us tonight. Boy, that title is chilling but true. Cheryl Atkinson, thanks so much for coming on. What effect do you think the tech companies had on this election? Well, I think it was big. Looking at it in a non-forensic way, Dr. Epstein knows a lot more about all of that than I do. But just looking at the influence that they've had over the past couple of years after a concerted campaign that began in 2016 on the part of political and corporate interests to try to control the Internet landscape, the information that we get online. Because these forces knew that once they had largely controlled the terms of how we talk about news stories in news divisions, and on TV and on cable news, that there was still this place they saw people were getting unfettered access to off-narrative information, studies yes. maybe they don't want you to see or know about, opinions that maybe they don't want you to have or know about. And so they set out their goals to then move into the Internet in a way like we hadn't seen before, in a very overt way in those weeks before the election, in fact, to try to control that information landscape as well. I don't know how... Frequently we can sound this alarm. I hope something's done about it soon, but give us an example of what they did in the weeks before the election, if you would. Well, there are plenty of ways and hidden ways that every day our information is controlled. And it's, for example, Google actually made this announcement when coronavirus hit that they were going to direct searches to the World Health Organization, which in retrospect admitted to WHO it had gotten certain things completely wrong, but that's where we were being directed because of the partnership that they developed, because interests wanted us to go there and believe that. But right before the election, in ways that weren't even partly hidden, I felt like there was a sense of desperation because the tech companies began overtly censoring and taking down accounts rather than just sort of minimizing them or minimizing their reach in ways that couldn't be denied. So look at the New York Post story on Hunter Biden. And the audacity of that, but to not even care in those couple of weeks leading up to the election that we saw exactly what they were doing because they knew there would be no repercussions for that before the election and perhaps none, quite frankly, after the election. It's absolutely shocking. Do you think that there's any, any way to rein this in before the next election, even before the runoff in January in Georgia that will determine control of the Congress? Well, I doubt before the runoff, but if we're looking four years down the road, there are a lot of technical minds and independent journalism minds and information people who are looking for all kinds of new ways where information can be disseminated without being curated by these self-appointed parties who have their own conflicts of interest, where people won't be deplatformed if they simply share factual information or, hey, if they want to share information that's not true but leave it up to you to discern what is and isn't and the research right. that you want to do rather than letting these unnamed faceless people with conflicts of interest do it for you. There's a lot of people searching for ways to do that and I do think something new will be born of all of this. Man, it can't come too soon. Cheryl Atkinson, great to see you tonight. Thank you so much. Thanks. They said they were going to do it and they did it. They pushed the electorate. The most damning thing is all that's true. I remember I didn't see reminders to vote. Even on Twitter.
But I signed in with my wife's and I saw them. Her Google. Because they don't know who she is. I mean, he's told people to start working. It's over. There's no way to stop it. And as I've said on six conservative consecutive podcasts, this was stolen. But this is the way that we should really focus on how they stole it. You can't prove Dominion flip votes and you can't bring most of this stuff. I mean, FEC chair, they're bringing legitimate accusations of voter fraud. Tens of thousands of Pennsylvania ballots returned earlier than the sent date. That's the epoch ties. In sworn statements, prominent mathematician flags up to 100,000 Pennsylvania ballots. 100,000. And then you go to the little stuff. You know, Geller report. Um, total ballots cast in Nevada, 1,327,394. Total presidential election votes, 1,405,376. That's 77,982 more votes than ballots cast. And Biden's winning by 33,000. How, how does that math Work. How do you work that math? Peter J. Hassan. 67% of Democrats believe it's definitely true, or probably true, that Russia tampered with the vote tallies in order to get Donald Trump elected. There's no evidence of Russian tampering with one vote tally. But that was from 2018. Imagine if two years into Hillary's president, two-thirds of Republicans thought she won the Chinese-tampered vote. Would that go anywhere? Detroit. Multiple groups of precincts had the same number of Trump in total votes. It was a padded across the precinct. Then you go into the affidavits. Something occurred in Michigan that is physically impossible, indicating the results were manipulated on election night. The vendors reflecting the data are the four spike totals of 384,733 ballots and two hours and 38 minutes, all for Biden. It's physically impossible given the equipment available at the four reference locations took in process 94,867 ballots as a maximum number of ballots that could be processed. In any event, there were 289,866 more ballots processed in the time available for processing. And these are all on affidavits. People signed them and said what they were doing. It didn't matter. But what is the media going down with? Representative Bill Pascrell, I filed a complaint against them for tampering with our election system by saying the election system was tampered with. Four fucking years! Yet, I have two sound bites. The first one is your Sunday news bash. Good Sunday morning. In the days immediately following Joe Biden's victory, it was easy to dismiss President Trump's reality denial as working his base or just a tantrum or some sort of strategy for his post-presidency. But now his antics are looking less like a fit of pique than an assault on our democracy. In recent days, we've seen President Trump and his allies pressure Republican state legislators to overturn the election and choose pro-Trump electors instead. Trump lawyers spin baseless conspiracy theories about voting machines, dead dictators in Venezuela, and a national conspiracy 
to rig the election that so somehow members of both parties participated in? Mr. Trump fired the cybersecurity official who debunked his false claims that the election was stolen. And President Trump himself tweeted blatant falsehoods about non-existent voter fraud, including last night's explicit call to state legislators to overturn the election results. At the same time, the president is denying Biden's transition team access to information that would allow the new president to deal with the COVID crisis on day one, among other things. Simply put, that decision could be costing lives in a country where more than a quarter million have already been lost. Mr. Trump's efforts to turn a legitimate defeat into a fraudulent victory appear headed for failure. But he may succeed in undermining confidence in U.S. elections and in kneecapping the incoming administration. And perhaps that's the motive. But ask yourself, is this the 1950s or the 1850s? The 1950s, when we overcame our McCarthy-era crisis and eventually pulled together as a country, or the 1850s, when the nation broke apart? Good morning and welcome to This Week. We may not be surprised, but we should still be shocked. The election results have been clear for more than two weeks. Joe Biden defeated Donald Trump. And by recent standards, it wasn't all that close. More than six million votes nationwide. More than triple Donald Trump's 2016 margin in the key Midwestern battlegrounds. Plus wins in the longtime GOP strongholds Georgia and Arizona. 306 electoral votes. The same total Trump called a landslide in 2016. Faced with those facts, the president and his allies have taken their baseless claims of voter fraud to court. They've lost 34 times. The latest last night in Pennsylvania, where a federal judge dismissed their case with these words. The court has been presented with strained legal arguments without merit and speculative accusations unpled in the operative complaint and unsupported by evidence. In the United States of America, this cannot justify the disenfranchisement of a single voter, let alone all the voters of its sixth most populous state. Defeated in court, the Trump team is telling outright lies in television interviews and press conferences, forums where you don't face legal sanctions for making false, frivolous, and fantastical charges. The president himself is pressuring state officials to simply overturn the will of the voters. Here's how the last Republican nominee for president, Mitt Romney, summed it up. It is difficult to imagine a worse, more undemocratic action by a sitting American president. This assault on our election will not change the outcome. Joe Biden will take the oath of office, become America's 46th president at 12 noon on January 20th. Donald Trump will leave the White House sometime before then. But how much damage will he do to our democracy on the way out? Can he cripple the Biden presidency before it's begun? What does it mean right now for the millions of Americans confronting the COVID pandemic and the economic turmoil in its wake? Despite surging case numbers around the country, the White House is desperately spinning Trump's refusal to concede. Something that I would note is just we talked a lot about transfer of power and the election, and it's worth remembering um, that this president was never given an orderly transition of power. Um, his presidency was never accepted. In fact, Hillary Clinton called Trump to concede hours after he was declared president-elect. President Obama invited him to the White House just days later, and during his inauguration, Trump said this. Every four years, we gather on these steps to carry out the orderly and peaceful transfer of power. And we are grateful to President Obama and First Lady Michelle Obama for their gracious aid throughout this transition. And there are no parallels between 2016. Uh, Hillary Clinton called him and, and conceded the race. Barack Obama invited him to the White House 
uh, Joe Biden invited Mike Pence to the Naval Observatory. Michelle Obama spoke uh, to Melania Trump. I mean, all of these things happened. And uh, President Obama immediately ordered the official uh, transition to begin, the transfer of power, the General Services Administration to begin working with the incoming team immediately. Uh, it was quite a different uh, situation. What the actual fuck is that? Is that news? Is that news? I, I, I don't think that's news. Dude, look in a mirror. Jonathan Turley drops Chuck Todd in thread for accusing Trump of undermining an incoming president. It was a bit curious to hear Chuck Todd just now slam Trump for lying about election issues and undermining an incoming president. Todd has never corrected his own false statements and continued to fuel questions of legitimacy for four, legitimacy for four years. I have said for over two weeks that the election should be ascertained for Biden to allow for orderly transition. That does not end the challenges, however. Todd Fuel debunked collusional allegations and has followed principles of accuracy at a considerable distance. Marty Hawk. Hey, Chuck Todd, get your point of view, but at least can you get the facts right? This kind of shabby interviewing, which kills journalism, feel free to counter Mr. Turley's argument. Yes, very wrong how Rachel Maddow and Chuck Todd never gave up on the Russian conspiracy. Chuck Todd, curious why the number one response is report by every elected official isn't concerned about how easy the Russians hacked the election and how way too many Americans cheered this on and hoped it was true. That's April 2019, boys and girls. It was over! Yet still, the media want to play with this. This is Schiff, and this is Brian Seltzer. And Larry Trump is wrong, by the way, to say that every Trump voter feels that this thing was rigged. Not every Trump voter does. But 77% of Americans who backed Trump did tell pollsters from Monmouth that they believe voter fraud tipped the scales for Biden. This conspiracy crap is just like Trump's anti-media enemy of the people smear. It's a slow-acting poison that is crippling the American body politic. Election denialism is like a middle finger to democracy. In the same way that Rich Lauder wrote that a, said that a vote for Trump was like a middle finger, a rude gesture to the left. But it's something else too. It's tribal. It's entertaining, almost like a sporting event. I know that sounds strange, but let me show you what I mean. These professors from UT and Texas State say it's all about my team. They say for highly identified Trump fans, the electoral loss poses a personal identity threat that must be mitigated. Refusing to concede, refusing to admit the other team won, provides psychological insulation from the loss. So it's about tribalism, allegiance to a team. In fact, quoting here, sports communication research has found that the more closely you identify, the more closely your identity is wrapped up in a team's identity, the more likely you will blame a loss on the refs. You'll blame the referees. You'll, you'll say the other team cheated because it's about identity. But at least in sports, People believe on the numbers. They believe the numbers on the scoreboard. In politics, the game is over at this point, and the losing players are still working the refs. They are still trying to change the score. Thousands of Americans' sickness and death because of his own selfishness. Congressman Adam Schiff, the chair of the House Intelligence Committee, joins me now. Um, how would you characterize what we are seeing right now, both from the president and from the Republican members of Congress? Well, from the president, we're seeing exactly what we expected we would see, and that is 
that if he lost the election, uh, he would contest it, uh, that he would uh, claim that it was rigged, that it was a fraud, that he would make completely false and baseless, baseless allegations that millions voted illegally. Uh, and that's, of course, exactly what he's doing. Uh, and in terms of the Republicans in Congress, uh, you know, as you pointed out during the trial, Chris, we warned that he tried to cheat in the election and got caught. He tried to get Ukraine to help him cheat and that he would do it again. And that's exactly what he's doing. Uh, the Republicans uh, who, you know, many of whom acknowledged that he had been proven guilty of the charges and then went on to say, uh, as what you pointed out, that, well, let's let the voters decide. Now that the voters have decided, that's still not good enough for them. The only remaining ideology, uh, Chris, that we have seen of these Republican enablers is say what the president says, do what the president wants. That is now the Republican Party ideology. Uh, it doesn't go beyond that. What he says rules them. Uh, they fear angry tweets. They fear primary challenges. They fear retribution. They fear that voters in Georgia may not turn out if Donald Trump takes the ball and goes home. Uh, and so we see, once again, this utter capitulation to the, the wishes of Donald Trump, no matter how anti-democratic and unconstitutional they may be. How do you understand in this moment, with all that's unfurled since then, how do you now understand impeachment? I've been thinking about uh, this year, which is in many ways the worst year of our lifetime. Um, it's the deadliest year in American history. Uh, we, we, we've all been through a lot. How do you think about impeachment in the context of what unfolded afterwards? Well, I think about it in this way. Um, we saw what Donald Trump was made of. We saw the abuses of power. And we in the House undertook our constitutional responsibility with great seriousness. Um, although, you know, we had realistic expectations, we hoped and prayed the Senate might do the same. They didn't. Um, that's not necessarily a flaw in the remedy of impeachment. One of the things that we pointed out during the trial is that it doesn't matter how well the Constitution is written, or how profound the oath of impartiality is, if those things are not animated by the spirit in which the Constitution was written, if the members don't give them content uh, through their character, none of it works. Uh, and it hasn't worked because the, the GOP, one of the major parties, has relinquished its constitutional duty uh, and become a cult of the president. Um, and, you know, that's, that's what has this Republican shaking, this Republic shaking, Donald Trump couldn't be doing any of this. Uh, there would be no lack of ascertainment uh, by the, the GSA administrator if the Republicans weren't allowing it. They could put an end to it tomorrow. They just don't have the courage to do it. Uh, and it's a colossal failing. Uh, it doesn't mean that, that, that impeachment won't be an effective remedy in the future if it's necessary, but it does mean at this moment of peril uh, that one party is not living up to its responsibility. I think um, some of your colleagues in the, in the House have written a letter to uh, the, the GSA administrator uh, asking her to uh, answer to them what, what, what she's thinking on ascertainment, possibly calling her. You know, so far, the way this has all been played out is played out in the courts and the Biden people saying, be patient. And I, I get all that. Does the House have a role here at a certain point? Like the transition kind of has to happen. Um, you guys do control one branch of, of Congress. Uh, we do have a role, and we're trying to execute that role. Uh, we are, you know, 
you know, I think putting the right kind of pressure, uh, public pressure on, uh, you know, these holdouts, both in the Congress and in the administration to get on with the transition, uh, to acknowledge the elections over. Joe Biden won. He won handily six million votes more than the other guy. Uh, and it's time to, to attend to the business of the country and defeat this pandemic. So we are trying to turn up the public pressure. Uh, and that public pressure can be powerful. And if necessary, we'll call people before the Congress, um, you know, day by day, bit by bit, as the court uh, makes it, its results clear as state after state starts certifying the results. Uh, you know, the pressure will be inexorable. But but in the meantime, of course, we're losing time to fight this virus. Uh, the one other thing I, I want to say. I think we may have less with respect to. They were waiting in the beginning. Let's let the courts save us from ourselves. Uh, and then, well, let's let the state legislatures save us from ourselves. Well, then it'll be just wait until the Georgia special election is over. And then it'll be let's just wait until he's out of the White House and maybe he will, you know, go off into that good night. Uh, and then it will be, well, as long as he may run in four years, I guess we still can't uh, say what we need and act our conscience. If they don't put an end to it now, they will never find the courage to stand up to him. They will never reclaim their David or Douglas, I mean, whoever wants to answer this, I mean, this attempt, this is an attempted power grab. At what point could it amount to sedition? Well, I've, my own view is it's not sedition yet because the president, as Doug pointed out, has worked within the courts so far. He's tried this political maneuver that hasn't worked. Now, if we got to the point where uh, the electors were selected by the states, forwarded to Congress. Congress is supposed to validate that on January 6th. If he still would not, at that point, uh, concede, allow transition to happen, do all of the usual things one would do after it's over, then that then I think you could engage that question. Maybe Doug's got a different view. Doug? Yeah, I, I think um, the I agree with you completely. I think that Trump's going to push it to the very, very limit, um, but in the end, he has to have recognized that he lost. He's simply trying to keep his followers. He has them. He's convinced over 70% of the Republicans that it was a fraudulent election when, in fact, it was one of the most well-run and, uh, elections in U.S. history. Uh, almost no fraud or, or uh, irregularities whatsoever. I think he's going to try to probably go after Joe Biden in 2024 and some or have uh, Don Jr. or Ivanka involved. He's going to create a kind of second shadow government out of Mar-a-Lago. He practically lives next door to Rush Limbaugh. They'll create a kind of um, a media empire, a voice out there that simply refuses to accept anything that Joe Biden does and go on the attack. Right before the election, Schiff was still talking about Russia. And Brinkley, a shadow government. Let's look at that for a second. What did Obama do? He set it up while he was in office, while we were starting the Russia, Russia, Russia. He was starting the investigations. He was read into everything. Let's just fast forward six months. And the media report, Donald Trump set up an investigation on the Biden administration. Over Hunter's laptop. How do we think the media would handle that? Anybody? 
I mean, remember, this is the media. You get articles like this. Um, hey, remember when the media outlets were concerned about voter fraud? You can't even see it now. It goes down to 2019, 2020. People still talking about it. And during all this recounts and checking things and actually legally pursuing Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel threatens to prosecute Republicans who refuse to certify dubious votes. She has no ability to do that. John Turley weighs in on it. My statement on our meeting with President today, this guy had to put it out, Michigan AG Nielsen and others suggesting that Republicans who oppose certification or even meet with President Trump on the issue could be criminally investigated or charged. Once again, the media is silent on this abusive use of criminal code. Imagine if this was AG Barr threatening Democrat legislators with criminal investigation for challenging Trump votes. The media would, media would be apoplectic. Yet when used against Republican, there's a celebration for the use of criminal code for politically motivated threats. As with attacks on Republican lawyers, the threats against Republican legislatures has been met with utter crickets. And this is what I'm talking about. This is what it's ta- I'm talking about. We are in this mode where there's two rules. And everybody can be smart enough to realize when you have two rules, you do a lockdown protest, you're killing grandma and you're a Nazi terrorist, you burn down cities, you're a peaceful protester. Eventually, society falls the fuck apart. It just happens. Since 2020, the media and the left have said elections are rigged, stolen by bots on Facebook. They rig an entire election the other side says, this is rigged, and we're doing stuff like this. Shame the random unknown government officials aiding Trump's coup attempt. That's slight. Really? How about this? One in three Americans didn't vote. Should we force them next time? BuzzFeed. Ratio alert. Sung Kim Min, Min Kim, more Americans voted in 2020 than any other in 100 years. BuzzFeed, hold my beer. One in three Americans did vote. Should we force them? Lindsay Feifeld, it's actually kind of funny how after four years of screaming about fascism, you don't seem to understand how frequently you advocate fascism and authoritarian methods. Counterproposal, leave people alone. My norms have never felt more protected. I'm just throwing this out here. Whoever passes a mandatory voting law will vote against their party just to spite them. As it should be. And then we really get to the data that makes this election look so fucking crazy. ABC News misleading memes and videos went viral in some Latino communities. Reagan Battalion. Here's what ABC is trying to tell you. Latinas are too stupid to know what they're voting for. New York Times. Miami Bureau Chief still lashing out Latinos for Trump in Florida. Because once again, the demographics they did, or Trump did, are unsurpassed by anything we've ever seen. He should have won. But he didn't in the five states that are being challenged. 
But you look at what the media's covering, and it's so fucking hypocritical. It's beyond hypocritical. Tim Alberta, there's a nauseating amount of this too many Americans have doubt about the integrity of our election stick coming from the very Republicans who have been actively sowing doubts about the election. My reply, you have no intellectual honesty. MSM DNC ran Russia a lie, lowered the ball for impeachment, burned looted cities, beat mega clothing wearers at behest of DNC. After the last four years of physically and verbally assaults, you think right wasn't going to follow suit? Reap what you sow. Reap it. You put it in people's head. They said he wouldn't hit 40%. He hit 40% with Latinos. If the inverse was true, boys and girls, they would not be certifying anything. If if Biden increased fucking trailer park votes and Trump lost his base. And I don't say they're all trailer park votes, so that's kind of a, seems like I'm being fucking arrogant asshole. Um, I'm one step of above a trailer park where I live. Um, my point is, if Trump lost his base, but he won the election, you tell me this garbage media with... Articles like this. White House journalists protest being objective about Trump and Pence at any time. This president has done nothing to public schedule day, began HuffPost's skirsh date pool reporter Tuesday. He also has not posted any falsehoods on Twitter about winning the election or fraud or anything else for that matter. And more than 11 hours a day, however, is young. Humorous or quirky pool reports are no means now, now new. What has changed, reporters say, are the president's set and the media's landscape. Dale, the HuffPost reporter who wrote Tuesday's pool report, said it would be a disservice if he didn't call the president's lies about the election results. But how about the polling? Nate Silver blames Midwest Republicans for polling industry failures. And that polling error possibility he raised did pop again this year. The margin most battleground states is farther narrower than we saw in pre-election polls, underestimating Trump's support again. Stefanovic conceded this gave way to pre-recorded video of Silver delivering Do You Buy This segment. Of course, Silver started by trying to deflect and argue that grossly inaccurate polling shouldn't be an issue discussed right now and that they got the larger picture correct. With all that went on in the election, including Donald Trump's refusal to concede so far, I'm not sure the performance of the polling is the most important story. And polls did predict the right winner in all but two states in the race. Though, he said, admit, the margins were pretty far off in a lot of places. It wasn't a total disaster. Polls did call every state but Florida and North Carolina correctly in the presidential race and everywhere but North Carolina and Maine correctly in the Senate. But he would go on to admit, still, overall, the polls were mediocre at best with numbers off by three or four points in the presidential race and by near five points in races of Congress. The problems were often biggest in the Midwest, he griped. Well, when you allow people to beat the fuck out of people, what do you expect? But to the Tucker soundbite, no pushback. Politico criticizes Parler for lack 
of censorship. They're still going after the only source people could go to. Because they want dominance. They want to own your every thought. They want to make sure you don't have original thoughts. And if that doesn't scare the living fuck out of people, I don't know. I mean, his people scare me. Dream cabinet. It's the entire squad and Bernie Sanders. He wants to bring in Susan Rice. Benjamin Witt. Does anyone seriously believe that senators would be lining up to preemptively oppose Ambassador Rice? If she looked a little more like, say, Tom Dillian, she's overwhelmingly qualified. He goes on and on and on and on and on and on about her. And I just said, YouTube video. Vets remember she lied. They are so... They also remember 30 seals dying. Fuck her sex or race. That's just some more intellectually dishonest intersectionality bullshit. She's a fucking liar. A liar. Andrea Mitchell. Pulling troops out of Afghanistan. Brent McGurk, there's no reason for this. The only reason I can think of, again, tie the hands and restrain the options of the incoming Biden administration. My reply. But GWB, who out, who out got them there, was an actual Nazi. And your network ran a death tote board until Obama took office. Fucking hacks. Conservatives could cure cancer. MSDNC would run an article on how bad for the environment is that people aren't dying from fucking cancer. And by the way, I'm an independent. Then this week, perfection. Joe Biden effort to combat climate change will be headed up by John Kerry. You, you serious? John fucking Kerry? Then Elizabeth Warren, a big player in his administration. We need to rebuild trust in government. With a single executive order, Joe Biden can lock the revolving door between government and industry, reduce lobbyist influence, and end conflict of interest for executive branch personnel. Yeah. Yeah, that that sounds like uh, you don't know who the fuck he's hiring because they're all from big business. Let, let's be honest. Who benefited from their COVID hysteria. People that finance them. Amazon. Google. I mean that Google shit. Even though I knew it was going to happen. And I said it was going to happen. And then to see an actual study say. It fucking happened. If we get a stimulus check. Because they're so fucking expensive. This you know. Now, me and the wife are going to go buy two unlocked fucking phones, take our Google Home and our two Pixel phones, and throw them in the fucking trash. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. That is so unfucking American. And I would say that was unAmerican if Google was fucking Trump's butt buddy and they got him reelected. I would still say this is fucking horseshit. No entity, no private fucking business should have that much power. They just, they shouldn't have that much power. They said they were going to do it, and then they did it. 
What does that say? And remember, that source is not from Tucker Carlson. That's not Tucker saying it. That's a liberal. A guy who fucking hates Trump. He said it. He's the guy studying it. He's got people out doing Google searches and seeing that, yeah, we got fucking problems. So, we're going to end on the election once again, which is pretty much over and we're fucked. And if they get their way, which it looks like they're cooking the books in Georgia already, America's gone. It's just gone, as we know it. It just won't exist. I'm going to play Team Biden already, because Team Biden's a a go. And then we're going to listen to uh, why I don't celebrate Thanksgiving. Oh, first, CNN sucks, crash live feed. That's pretty funny. Then we'll play Team Biden. And then we'll play why I don't celebrate Thanksgiving for our listening assignment, and we'll come into violence, because, yeah, they're still beating motherfuckers. They had to certify, but it is possible to go to the state Supreme Court. Here's the key real quick, Brianna. The key is that the Secretary of State says she can't do any sort of recount. She cannot do any sort of uh, investigation or audit unless it is certified. So that's the key here. Okay, can't do an investigation or audit unless it's certified. Diane, thank you so much uh, for weathering that for us. Diane Gallagher in Lansing. There's going to be some tension between getting unity, getting things done, working with Republicans and investigating any wrongdoing that occurred during the Trump administration. Now, the vice president has been reported as expressed a preference that he doesn't want his presence to be consumed by Trump investigations. Uh, that has raised some concerns about among some Democrats, including Congressman Bill Pascrell, who had this to say this week. Failure to hold financial and political wrongdoing accountable in the past has invited greater malfeasance by bad actors. A repeat of those failures in 2021 further emboldens criminality by our national leaders and continues America down the path of lawlessness and authoritarianism. There must be accountability. How do you balance moving forward with getting accountability? Well, let's be clear, George. The president-elect spoke about this many times during the campaign. And what he made it clear is that Joe Biden is not going to tell the Justice Department who to investigate or who not to investigate. That's what we saw the past four years, the president tampering with the Justice Department, egging on investigations, so on and so forth. He's going to pick an excellent attorney general, an independent Justice Department, and that department will make decisions independently, free of politics, free of political favor in either direction as to how to enforce the laws. That's the way it should be. That's the way it's always been. That's the way it needs to be if we're going to have the kind of rule of law that's so important in our country. Well, I think this is turning into a circus, and it's complete with clowns. Uh, But to most people, clowns are funny, but to a lot of people, they're scary. And I think uh, we need to be scared about what could take place today. All the evidence before us says that this is going to be a deadlocked vote, uh, which is unlawful. And the two Republicans are attorneys. They're officers of the court. And if they don't vote to certify, they're taking an unlawful vote. Like Norman Schinkel, he's one of the two Republicans who's on this canvassing board. He's the one that we've been talking about who's been signaling that he's going to vote um, to delay, vote against certifying the results today. What do you think his game is here? 
I can't even begin to answer that. He's indicated that he's not likely to, to vote in favor of certification. Um, I, he'll probably have to answer to the Bar Association for that. Do you think he should? I think he should. I, he, he has to certify. It's his obligation. He has, he, he has a, a sworn oath to do so. Do you, when you say he should answer to the Bar Association, are you saying that he should like, lose his license? Well, sanctions are definitely possible. Uh, the court has held canvassers in contempt before when they failed to do their duty. And uh, as a lawyer, uh, I would be worried about that. It's very interesting, of course, to watch this national security team take shape. And it does tell us, as you were explaining, so much about the philosophy of what a Biden administration will do. Is there, is there any one of these picks in particular that kind of stands out, out to you? I think they're all outstanding. I mean, what really stands out to me, Brianna, is the fact is that you're not seeing grifters, you're not seeing unqualified con artists, uh, you're not seeing people who are, as far as we know, under investigation by the FBI. I mean, it just makes you realize all of the misfits uh, that Donald Trump appointed to office. And by comparison, this is that was really, Trump really had the Z team, this is really the A team. I mean, it's really striking to me from Tony Blinken on down. They are all incredibly qualified with decades of experience, deep knowledge of foreign policy, deep commitment to American leadership. And just as importantly, they also know Joe Biden. They've worked with him for a long time. And that's going to be a key advantage because there is going to be a trust and confidence in that team that you don't see amid the backbiting of the Trump administration. Is there anyone who he might have a hard time getting through a Republican? While Democrats will still control the House, Republicans flipped more than half a dozen seats, including two key battleground states a battleground state of Florida. Uh, joining us now, Democratic Congresswoman Debbie Mukarsel Powell of Florida. She was one of those two Democrats who lost their seat on Election Day. Casey Hunt is still with us as well, and also with us, White House correspondent for PBS NewsHour, Yamiche Alcindor. So, Congress, Congresswoman, I'm sure you were hearing the same thing I was. Uh, I was following all the races really closely in Florida. And I knew you were in trouble, uh, just like when you knew you were in trouble, uh, because what I kept hearing over and over and over again were the same two things. Socialism. Defund the police. I'm not going to vote for her. She wants to defund the police. I'm not going to vote for her. She, she supports socialism. Yeah, good morning, Joe. Good morning, everyone. Look, I think that that definitely had a negative impact on my race, on Donna Shalala's race here in South Florida. But there was so much more going on that I think that a lot of people just uh, missed the vote on. The, the troubling part about this is that this, this targeted misinformation wasn't just happening in social media, in chats like WhatsApp, but it, it started penetrating mainstream media. And I, and I want everyone that is watching the show this morning to remember that we have one major problem, and it's the party of Trump, the Republican Party. Um, President Obama has talked about truth decay and the idea that, no, that Americans can't agree on the facts. Regardless of what happened in, uh, on Tuesday, November 3rd, there are many brights. People keep asking me, and so I'm just going to explain it all right now and tell you why I do not celebrate Thanksgiving. Yes, I know I say Thanksgiving instead of Thanksgiving. I'm weird. Kim here with some real talk, revealing my secrets. If you're new around here, be sure to subscribe for some laughs and motivation, usually. Today is different because I am annoyed, so I have to get all personal and vulnerable, but usually I'm a little more inspirational and amusing. 
I don't celebrate Thanksgiving. No turkey, no traveling, no family get-togethers, nothing. Okay, let's do this. This is my grandpa. He was in the Navy. He was a successful business owner, and he really took care of his family. This guy raised me. He was my in-home father figure, a very important man in my life. In the fall of 2009, his health took a drastic turn. In fact, a few months before that, I had quit my job and moved across the country to be home because I knew my time with him was limited. Sometime in November of that year, he went into hospice care. He had already been in the hospital for months, and he was going to have to stay there until, you know, the end. With it being November and him in hospice care, he really wanted to spend Thanksgiving with his family. After doing some digging, we found an organization that helps grant a final request of hospice patients. Think Make-A-Wish, but for people in end-of-life care. That organization set up an ambulance to medically transport my grandpa home for the afternoon, along with a nurse, so that he could spend Thanksgiving with us. Yay! My grandpa didn't like riding in ambulances. We had had an issue earlier where there was a bit of a mix-up with one, and, well... Let's just say it was unpleasant. So we had a family rule. Grandpa didn't ride alone. Someone from the family would ride along in the ambulance with him if he needed to be transported from one place to another. More often than not, it was me. I was the ride-along buddy. Late in the morning on Thanksgiving Day, my mom and I showed up to the hospital so that I could ride home with him. However, when we got there, he had slipped into a sort of semi-coma. He was only semi-conscious, and when he was awake, his eyes wouldn't focus on anything. He couldn't even sit upright. After much deliberation and several phone calls, my mom and I decided we had to go home without him. He wasn't coherent enough to be disappointed or to understand what was going on, but my mom and I understood. We knew this meant his final request couldn't be fulfilled, and that his family couldn't have one last Thanksgiving with him. When we got home, my mom and I had to walk through the door and disappoint almost 20 very excited faces and deliver the news of what we had seen. And it sucked. Thanksgiving went on as planned, there was a lot to do and a lot of people, and Grandpa was okay, he just wasn't well or able to make the big home visit. And while the family was sad they didn't get to have their last Thanksgiving with Grandpa, they didn't have the same experience that day that I did. Unfortunately, but expectedly, Grandpa passed away a few days later. And now, for me, Thanksgiving doesn't mean a bounty of food, family, and gratitude. It means sadness, disappointment, and pain. So I choose to ignore it. We're fine, we're fine, we're fine. I treat it like a normal Thursday because for me, it is a normal Thursday. I work, I hang out with my husband, we don't do anything special, we don't travel, we don't do nothing. It may not be the healthiest thing to do, but we all heal and deal in our own way and this works for me, so I'm going with it. Okay, so my camera died because why not? I'm an emotional wreck. It likes to kick me when I'm down. We switched to the phone because I wanted to wrap this up and I didn't want to become another weepy, blubbering mess all over again. I just had a couple final thoughts I needed to add. First of all, Thanksgiving was never my favorite holiday to begin with, so it was very easy to remove it from my life. The transition went smoothly. I would also like to say that husband is 100% fine not celebrating Thanksgiving. I strategically married an Eastern European who didn't grow up celebrating Thanksgiving, so it's not a big deal. Okay, that's not the only reason I married him. 
he's also very good looking and freakishly smart. Lastly, for those of you who will inevitably argue with me in the comments about setting aside a day to just be grateful for the things we have in our lives, I'm not gonna disagree with you, but I am gonna say that if I need a calendar to tell me to stop and just be thankful for what I have, I have bigger problems than not celebrating a culturally obligated holiday. I believe gratitude should be practiced daily. So that's what I try to do. Every single day I am telling people thank you and I am telling the powers that be thank you for the things I have and for the life I live because I am grateful. Taking a day to overwork myself in the kitchen is not gonna help me be more thankful. So there you go, that's why I don't celebrate Thanksgiving. I would like to apologize for bumming you out if I did so. I would also like to thank you for all of your love and support. And at this particular time, for your respect and understanding of how I choose to heal. And now we will return to your regularly scheduled amusing and motivational videos. Thanks for watching! Just like the ones I used to know Chestnuts roasting on an open fire Jack Frost nipping at your nose Yuletide carols being sung by a choir And folks dressed up like Eskimos Everybody knows It's the most wonderful time of the year Silver bells Silver Just like the ones I used to know Memories, Christmas memories They're the sweetest ones I know Merry Christmas from Flyover Politic Podcast makes it more, uh, in my mind, a question uh, mark is that most elected Republican officials are backing the president in what he's doing. They're saying he has every right to challenge. Very few of them are saying uh, that, that he's, what he's doing is wrong. Judy, they have taken a vow of silence, apparently. Uh, the, the most amazing moment of the week to me politically 
was to find out that Meet the Press last Sunday called every single Republican senator uh, and invited uh, him or her to be on the show that Sunday. And every one of them turned to Meet the Press down. And now, I mean, that, that is unheard of to be invited to a, an important forum like that. Uh, senators jump at that opportunity historically. Um, and what you back to is, is, is Dante's great quote that, uh, it, it, the hottest places in hell are reserved for those who, at time of moral crisis, remain neutral. I mean, that's what they've done. They've taken this this vow of silence with conspicuous consumptions. Uh, they are enabling him, um, and uh, they, they they are undoing democracy, uh, and they're doing enormous damage. I mean, saying, well, it, it, it just it's humor him, humor him along a little while. We're facing the greatest public health crisis we've had in a hundred years. I mean, we're facing an economic crisis of, of, of dramatic and historic proportions and dimensions. People's lives are, are really at risk. And what they do is futz around uh, on this and, and, uh, and pretend that we're not going to tell the emperor uh, that, he, that, he has no, that he has no trousers on or that he has no shirt on. Um, there's not, no attempt to win here. Nobody believes that Donald Trump won the election. It's just to sow doubt and mistrust and distrust. And what a terribly dishonorable objective. Raphael Warnock is dangerous. No wonder he defended this. Not God bless America, God America. Raphael Warnock, the radicals radical. This is not the first time a pastor has been taken out of context. Reverend Jeremiah Wright, seen at the end of that ad, was President Obama's pastor for more than 20 years. And Obama had to renounce Wright due to similar attacks during the 2008 campaign. God bless America. No, no, no. Not God bless America. God damn America. That's in the Bible. We know that this is a bad faith uh, representation of black liberation theology. We know there's no real effort to understand the theological nuance here. It's just stupid uh, racial dog whistle. Uh, it's not even a whistle, Jason. It's no, it's a klaxon. They're, they're screaming it. They're basically saying, he's black, he's black. I would say, John, Confederates, you are not Republican. We will be working uh, in the courts and in the streets to make sure that this injustice is overturned. This will not end here. Your vote tonight will follow you. Your grandchildren are going to think of you like Bull Connor or George Wallace. You have disavowed your right to even sit in the seats that you occupy. This is not over. You're a cult. That's all you are. I want you to think about what that means for your kids. Probably go to Gross Point North. Your day is coming. Have a good day. There's our media always saying those incredibly good things. I mean, they're just so good for democracy. I mean, seriously, so good for democracy. And we wonder why people beat fucking people up. We wonder. Does anybody wonder? Because I don't anymore. Read just herself. Mad King Trump legal team should be found guilty of sedition. GOP thinks anyone elected with non-white people is illegitimate. Well, he got elected with non-white people. What are you talking about? And he got elected this time with more non-white. Watch out for right-wingers causing U.S. to turn violent. Pose a threat to Biden's life. 
Constitution is allowing minority rule to ruin America. Republicans only care about the rich. We need a massive investigation into the entire Trump administration. And it goes on and on. That's what they want to go after. They're actually pushing people to investigate everything. But then you have CNN's Boykin. Orlando Hall was executed last night. Hall was a black man convicted by an all-white jury. He is the eighth person executed this year by the Trump administration. There were no federal executions under President Obama, and Biden plans to end that. This is who he's talking about. According to the Justice Department, Mr. Hall was part of a marijuana trafficking operation out of Pine Bluff, Pine Bluff, Arkansas. In 94, he and others went to the home of a man in Arlington, Texas, who they believed had reneged on a drug transaction. The department said, there the group kidnapped the man's 16-year-old sister and members of the group gang-raped her, beat her over the head with a shovel, soaked her with gasoline, and buried her. Her alive. She was still alive. But somehow, that's racist. That's the world we're going to go into. Because remember, there's two laws. There's your law, and then there's the Prague law. And I'm not even saying this is white or black anymore. This is Prague law and your law. They believe... America's got to be fixed so quick by turning it into a socialist, comp- socialist fascist country that tells you what to think, eat, drive, and breathe that any means necessary. They just don't say that because it's a catchphrase. They believe it. I'm not even going to read the sponsors. You can expect what it is. Like, what the fuck? Then you have Greg Gutfeld. Yet... This lot lives on Twitter. I feel like this is something the cops might find on a wall of a small shipping container in the woods, along with clothing of a half dozen missing persons. Holy fucking COVID. Off the rails. At women to DC. Holy fucking COVID bingo. We hit the mother load. Junior has Corona. Thank you, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, and the whole damn Holy Spirit. Who's next? And it's a picture of people in the Trump administration with X's across their face. That was all over Twitter. Joanne Ives. wonder if this person realized they all survived. Actually, it's a good indication of the survival rate. Looks like a wall in a psycho bunker room. Frightening. But that, that's, what they, that's what these people are. Ian Michael Chong. In case you're wondering where Black Rifle Coffee stood, CEO Evan Hoffer is like a bunch of anti-Kyle Rittenhouse tweets. I love that the far right is now doing cancel culture on behalf of the left. Thanks for lightening the load. This is what happened this week. So he made bail. And remember, our vice president literally gave bail to people, beat people, killed people, firebombed cops. That's where that Minnesota defense fund went to. Black Rifle Coffee says they have nothing to do with Kenosha Shooter because he got out and he's wearing a Black Rifle Coffee shirt. So everybody on the left went after Black Rifle Coffee with great statements like, it tastes like shit. I will bet you 
my left testicle, they never even tried black rifle coffee. I'm just going to throw it out there. Never. Chess Bowden. Anyone want to understand the failings of money bail? Look, no further. Strong evidence of a white shooter motivated by racial bias committing a double murder with an assault rifle, but wealth sets him free. Both of the people he shot were white and were chasing him with a gun. And this is the San Francisco DA. Ed Suddeth. There's so much wrong with this take. I don't even know where to start. When was the trial? I guess due process is anarchaic now for the left. What a sad misrepresentation of the facts. So I hate to break this to you. The people that attacked him and got shot were white. But yeah, we got to get the race in there. CNN, Kyle Rittenhouse, teen accused of fatal shooting of two people in August during protests in Kenosha, was released from custody after posting $2 million bail, according to the county sheriff's department. AOC. People who argue that dramatic change to policing, including budgetary ones, will mean violent people will be let out of jail to roam free, rarely ever acknowledge that actually the current system we have today, for the privileged. Does anyone believe Rittenhouse would be released if he were a Muslim and did the same thing in a different context? For people who say systemic racism doesn't exist, this is what it looks like. Protection of white supremacy, baked deep in our carceral system, law and disorder. Wonton, you can't even Google right. The five adults who were arrested in a New Mexico compound where children were allegedly being trained as school shooters may be able to leave jail soon. They got out. The left paid for it. Audit the vote. How many people released through New York no bail system have committed other violent crimes? Meanwhile, a 17-year-old no criminal history has to get a $2 million bond to be free. And this is your average, your uh, example of privilege? Your bigotry is leading you down the path of being ill-informed. Matt Walsh, this guy violently assaulted a random 92-year-old woman. He had 100 previous arrests and was still able to walk the streets on New York City's cashless bond. It goes on and on. But she wasn't done. She did like five or six more on this. Because... Racism or something. Tyler Pager brings us the other stupid-ass fucking Democrat who's going to have a major role. Rashida Tlaib. Scoop, it's official. Tony Blinker will be Joe Biden's Secretary of State, and the announcement is expected to be made on Tuesday, sources tell me. Rashida Tlaib. Just make sure he doesn't try to silence me and suppress my First Amendment right to speak out against Netanyahu's racist and inhumane policies. Because somebody said, this is a good choice. <clears throat> Tony has a strong confidence of president-elect and knowledge and experience of U.S. diplomacy. He will also be a new and great thing to have a top diplomat who is regularly engaged with progressive grassroots. Rashida Tlaib goes on. So long as he doesn't press, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Michelle, hey, Mark Lamont Hill. I'm generally cursed. Why do you feel you're qualified to speak on this matter? Do you agree with Rashida Tlaib that tokenism is racism? She's speaking at a dismantling anti-Semitism winning justice panel discussion, December 15th. It's not on Zoom or anything. Yeah. Where do we think this violence comes from? They told people, I play the bumper. For a reason. 
at the end of the day for time, but Jesus Christ, De Niro, they should be afraid. Trump allies should worry when the president isn't there because we're going after him. Art critic, Republicanism needs to be isolated and snuffed out. Republicanism is no longer a political problem. Republicanism is a social problem. It must be treated in the same way coronavirus treated. It has to be isolated and stuffed out by representing it and about 70% of the general population. The isms on all this is just unbelievable. And then don't forget, it's an election, so we're going to go out to white women. Peace explains how white women read the books like White Fragility and voted for Trump anyway. Catherine Morgan. How long do we have to wait for white women to learn? Ultimately, for many, the act of purchasing the books was performative. Instead of being read, these books decorated coffee tables and bedspreads for Instagrammable shots. Meanwhile, the sudden explosive demand in many bookstores was overwhelming. One employee told Bitch, we had at least two weeks of waiting and more than 100 orders mostly how to be an anarchist and white fragility. And it led to multiple customers complaining about how long they waited. Kristen Vega, the event coordinator at Astoria Bookshop in Queens, said that it often felt like a case of, look at this on my bookshelf, it's a good white. He added that while many of the actions this summer felt trendy, more people felt like they were genuine this time around than other times. Jesse Single. The simplest, most obvious explanation, white women who vote for Trump are not the same white women who buy Robin D'Angelo's book. Once the ideology has wormed its way into your brain, points that are obvious and basic to other decent informed people, American whites are an extremely heterogeneous group became incomprehensible. It sets you back at a participant in every conversation about politics. Victoria Smith, I thought I thought that then read the piece thinking there was be evidence there were the same women and even they told myself, no, there must be some stats confirming it. But you didn't bring it up. No, because that had nothing to do with it. A woman that was going to vote for fucking Trump was not going to vote for Biden and read that goddamn book. No, it wasn't going to happen. And to show we're still doing it on all levels, LifeSite was suspended. No reason given. Other than they're pro-life. So Twitter got them off, YouTube got them off. Then they came after John Cleath. And now for something completely brutal. John Cleese takes on hordes of screechy social justice zombies. John Cleese. Yes, my understanding is superficial. Here, here's a tweet. Andy C. This seems an issue where you have no dog in the fight and likely to have a pretty superficial understanding of. Personally, I don't get the issue myself. I see points on both sides and require more thought to res- resolve than I care to give currently. Yes, my understanding is superficial. One thing, when a woman who was once a man is completely against women who have always been women, I think she has an advantage because she inherently has a man's body, which is usually bigger and stronger than a woman's. Does that prove phobia? John Cleese, woke joke. A production of Macbeth may cancel because the man playing the head revealed that he had never actually killed anyone. Convicted murders are now being sought. 
Otherwise, it will have to stage Chekhov's three sisters, who will be Inuit, Thai, and Samoan. When Klaus von Suffenberg released realized in 1944 that Hitler was leading Germany to total disaster. He tried to assassinate him. He failed, of course. Most Germans regarded him as a traitor, which teaches us one lesson. People just don't like admitting they've been wrong. Greg Dolan, do tell. Dear twits, I've added my name to signatories of letters in solidarity of J.K. Rowling. Proud to be in the distinguished company of all these people. And that's why they went after him. Because he changed people's mind. Later on, I'm afraid I'm not that uh, Mr. Roger Stan. I'm not psychic. So why don't you be up front and tell us your thought on JKR position on trans folks? John Cleese, I'm afraid I'm not that interested in trans folks. I just hope they're happy and that people treat them kindly. Right now, I'm more focused on threats to democracy in America, the rampant corruption in UK, the appalling British press, the revelation about police brutality, COVID-19, the incompetence of the British government, China's complete disregard for the necessity to abandon fossil fuels, the development of France between Macron and Islamist diabetes, and the recent deaths of several of my close friends. Does that sound hard-hearted? Charles Vlup. That you're standing in solidarity with transphobia and discrimination? John Cleese, yes. And torturing small animals and setting fire to babies. Are you psychic? That's the best response I have seen to these goddamn fascists ever. Good for him. Good for him. Transphobia is not a boys shouldn't compete in girls sports. You must take the hormones and chop your cock. Then you can compete. Like the International Olympic Commission says. Well, I don't think they chop the cock. I think they have to have a year of of hormone treatment. That's not homophobia. Homophobia is, you're a fucking freak. Stay away from me. That's homophobia. But once again, it's groupthink. You will obey. You will. And it's really well thought out and displayed by our violence clips. Here is New York anti-lockdown. I'm going to put a break between three together, and you're going to hear a Biden voter punch a Trump flag holder. Now, he's not in Trump garb, but that's how the video was described. Because anybody that carries an American flag has to be for Trump, I guess. That's how crazy we've become. If you like the flag, you're a piece of shit. Government doesn't let us have dinner in our homes. Well, I have 50 people coming to my home for Thanksgiving. No food, but you're welcome to come. Yeah. You know, he arrested me a couple weeks ago at the Patriot Suppose I even believe that he has Antifa coming after me. That's what he's doing. <laughs> but I'm not scared. This is my city. That's right. This is our town. Yeah. This is our neighborhood. Yeah. We've built a great city here. That's right. We will never defund our police department. That's right. But I get it to city council, he's so much. New York is a great city. 
New York is one of the, New York has the reputation of being the best city in the world, and right now people are asleep. It's, it's very sad people are asleep in this city. New York City uh, was known to be street smart, and now unfortunately, and I hate to say this, people have lost their minds. You know, people have completely lost their minds. Don't be afraid to speak up against these tyrannical governors. Don't wear a mask if you don't want to. Yes. And I, you know, I'm, I don't even care about cancel culture anymore. I said it yesterday, like, cancel me. I don't care. I don't care. Don't hire me for my next job, whatever. You know, I'd rather, I'd rather be canceled than not say what I feel and to be a fake. So. And just for shits and grins, I'm going to play Don Lemon saying we can't have unity because of Republicans, and then you're going to hear an Omaha protest. It's a beautiful young blonde girl just supporting the police. Once again, not wearing trunk guard. Didn't even have a, a racist American flag. Huge consequences are a, a large amount of people believing the lie that 2020 was stolen. Every, everything that you just said. Then, Farid, what's the solution here then? Is that, and, and, and go on now, I'm gonna, I'll ask you another question. What's the solution? The only solution we can really hope for is that the fever breaks at some point. Something has happened to the Republican Party. Over the last 20 years, I think it began with Newt Gingrich, this kind of weird, dark, uh, conspiracy mongering, the, the, you know, the, the, uh, bel- the belief that politics is war, that you're, uh, that you're, political opposition, our enemies, that, that has culminated in Trump. Uh, and, you know, where you have people who basically don't care if American democracy goes down into the sewer as long as their guy wins. That fever has to break. I don't quite know what else does it. Yeah. Okay, then that was a perfect segue to what I wanted to ask you when I, um, the, second, the follow-up to the question. So then how do you, because everyone says, you know, we've got to come together, and it's true, you know that, we do, we should at least should find ways to come together, but how do you come together and how do you compromise with um, people who don't believe that uh, a fair election was won, people who don't believe in science, people who don't believe in facts, people who don't believe in reality? How, how do you do that? Look, Biden is the perfect guy to try this, because what, what I think Biden's uh, philosophy of government is going to be, Let's let's not have an existential debate over everything. Can we agree that people deserve relief for COVID? Can we agree that, you know, we could do a better job with infrastructure in America? Can we agree that, uh, you know, on certain areas of immigration reform? And he will try piecemeal to get things done. But, but again, the test is going to be the Republicans. It's, it's really important to not keep saying we all need to get together. This is not an equal side. Baby girl, let me let you anywhere. Fuck that side. 
behind you. Get this in his stone, bitch. You're not going anywhere. people in New York. They're the most anti-Semitic people you'll ever meet in your life. Even the Women's March fell apart because of their anti-Semitism on the far left. Yet, in droves, Jewish people vote for Democrats. Never understand it. Here's them talking about having a section of the Holocaust Memorial for George Floyd. Today, the Holocaust Memorial Resource and Education Center is showcasing a new exhibit. It displays powerful images taken after the death of George Floyd. As News 6's Ezzy Castro got a look at this exhibit and spoke to the photographer who captured moments, he says he'll never forget. When you walk inside the Holocaust Center in Maitland, you'll be able to see some of the faces of those who mourn the death of George Floyd, a black man who died in police custody in Minneapolis on Memorial Day. His death sparked protests across the city and around the country. The portraits captured by photographer John Noltler. When George Floyd was killed, that happened uh, 11.6 miles north of my house. And I knew with a piece of my mind's goal being to hear voices that aren't always heard as well as they should be. I knew that I wanted to go up to that site. Just days after Floyd's death, Noltner came to the site where dozens were gathering, many who were still trying to process the tragedy in their community. And he decided to capture the tears behind his lens. What was the vibe? What was the feeling that you were feeling when when you arrived to that location? There was clearly pain and frustration 
and mourning happening, but it was a space that was open to anybody who wanted to show up and understand what was going on. The exhibit shows 45 strangers, each of them sharing their own message to the world. And one of the portraits that you can see here is the father of Michael Brown Jr., who was fatally shot by police in 2014 in Ferguson, Missouri. So my goal is for people to simply come through the exhibit, to hear these stories, to look at these faces, uh, and to be open to considering the world in a new way. And the exhibit is free to the public and will be open on Sundays and Mondays here at the Holocaust Center. For more information, you can find out more on ClickOrlando.com. In Maitland, Ezzy Castro getting results, News 6. Here is CNN once again getting freaking hosed by protesters, all right? And then Brian Seltzer going after a woman again that somehow that's okay. And I'm going to play the montage of Democrats talking about violence. are available. They have all been interviewed on State of the Union, on Face the Nation, on Meet the Press. That is notable because Trump White House aides are totally MIA. Nobody from Trump world is out there defending this reckless legal strategy, this undemocratic conduct. It is very notable, the differences we are seeing between the Biden camp and the Trump camp right now. For more on that, uh, let me bring in one of CNN's best, uh, our White House reporter, our White House correspondent, Caitlin Collins who had an interesting experience with Kaylee McEnany the other day. Kaylin, good to see you. Good to see you, Brian. Thanks for having me on. These access issues, it's not just the White House. It's throughout the government. Do you have a sense of why, of what's going on? I think really what it all boils down to and why you're seeing people like the vice president not take questions at a coronavirus task force briefing, the first one of those kind and since the month of July when they last held one at the Department of Labor, is because they don't want to answer questions about what the president is doing. This attempt to overturn the results of the election, which of course is going to be one of the number one questions every single person is asked. And so you're seeing time and time again, officials are refusing to either comment on this or put themselves in a situation where they know that they would be asked about this right off the bat by reporters. And so with Kaylee McEnany returning to the briefing room for the first time since early October, it's, you see that it's not just this pattern of where she's only taking a handful of questions. It's a broader effort throughout the entire government. And I think the reason that this is so concerning is because this isn't this quiet two-month period where the president is on his way out, Joe Biden is on his way in. We're seeing him actively block the Biden transition team from getting access to resources, to emails, to money, things like this that they need to actually get started on their transition into federal government. But also you're seeing all this other activity on behalf of the president, where he is purging the top leadership at the Pentagon. He is making moves about drawing down troops in Iraq and Afghanistan. They are taking all of these efforts that are things that typically a government would have to talk about. But of course, you're seeing time and time again, officials are avoiding talking about it because they don't want to talk about what the president is doing. Right, right. They don't have answers. Uh, when McEnany insulted you and called you an activist, what was that moment like in the room? To me, it's a reminder of just how far this White House has fallen, how pathetic the behavior is. If that had happened in the Clinton, the Bush, the Obama years, like it's, it's unfathomable. We can't even imagine that happening because it's so pathetic. 
Sorry. Well, and, you know, really the sad state of affairs is that it didn't really phase me or the other reporters in the room that much, I don't think, because we have seen something like that time and time again. And right, it is not point. typical behavior of a press secretary in any way. No. No, it's not. That's the bottom line. You're doing your job, and I love that you defended yourself and said, you know, you're taxpayer-funded, you're supposed to be up here, and, Kayla, you're not doing your job. Uh, Kayla, what about the, the headlines this week? Coup, attempted coup, sedition. I wonder what the view is, you know, there at the White House. How do you and fellow reporters view this? Is this more of an attempted coup or more just like a bad comedy? I think when you step back and you look at this, it's easy to dismiss it as silly, to look at what Rudy Giuliani is doing and people kind of roll their eyes at him or see Sidney Powell, the other Trump attorney, making the claims that she's made without presenting evidence from that press conference last week. But what's important to remember is this is incredibly serious because you're right what you said at the top of the show, what the president is doing is not surprising, but it's still shocking that he is actively trying to overturn the results of a free and fair election, firing the official who said it was free and fair, but it's incredibly serious, the claims that they're making. And to see the Trump attorney, Sidney Powell, go on television last night and accuse the Georgia governor of crimes because they don't like the way the results turned out in that state, even though they did a hand recount that still affirmed Joe Biden's win. And now they're going to be uh, doing another one at the request of the Trump campaign. You know, it's incredibly serious what they're doing, because while we have been very sure about saying Joe Biden won this election. He is going to be inaugurated in January, and he will be the president. The president is misleading millions of his supporters currently by undermining the vote, undermining Joe Biden before he even gets into office. And so he's setting it up for people to not view Joe Biden as a legitimate president. And those were the same accusations that Donald Trump felt like he faced his first years in office. But instead of learning from that, he is now trying to inflict that on his successor. Mm, Right. I, I, I just don't even know why there aren't uprisings all over the country. Maybe there will be. People need to start taking to the streets. This is a dictator. You know, there needs to be unrest in the streets for as long as there's unrest in our lives. Enemies of the state. Show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful. Do something about your dad's immigration practices, you feckless. When they go low, we kick How do you resist the temptation to run up and wring her neck? Biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right up to the right. I thought he should have punched him in the face. But even if you lost, he insulted your wife. Yes. He came down the escalator and called Mexicans rapists and murders. He said, well, what do you think I should have done? I said, I think you should have punched him in the face and then gotten out of the race. You would have been a hero. I'd like to punch him in the face. I said, if we were in high school, I'd take him behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. Punch some people in the face! When was the last time an actor assassinated a president? They're still going to have to go out and put a bullet in Donald Trump. And that's a fact. Look as his character is stabbed to death. Where is John Wilkes Booth when you need him? I have thought an awful lot about blowing up the White House. A Missouri state senator is under investigation by the Secret Service after saying she hopes President Trump is assassinated. I will go and take Trump out tonight. And if you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd. And you push back on them. And you tell them they're not welcome anymore, anywhere.
and sadly to domestic enemies to our voting system and wow. our honoring our constitution uh, are right at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. They're not going to stop before election day in November and they're not going to stop after election day. And that should be, everyone should take note of that on both levels. That this isn't, they're not going to let up and they should not. If you think we're rallying now, you ain't seen nothing yet. You reap what you sow. For four years, five if you count the election here, we have allowed people to beat people with opposing views. The media has urged it on. Democrats have called for it. You don't shut it off. It's now a norm. And as I said, and probably scared the shit out of a friend's mom this morning. People are going to start pushing back. And when they do, all hell will break loose. All hell. Somebody lays hands on me and my mom, or my mom, my wife, what's the difference? I'm not going to take it. As stated, I didn't even take some gay guy talking shit to me in a Circle K. I ran him out. Not because he's gay. But you're not going to call me a racist because the way I vote. You're not going to call me a Nazi. You're not going to call me any of this shit. I'm not going to tolerate it. The actual fascists are you. When you can't get your way, you beat people and fear them. You use COVID as a lie to do mail-in voting. And then you cook the books by stopping the vote. Overlaid with the worst media coverage we've ever had for a candidate. As we'll see in This is America. And Google pushing the electorate 6 million votes. What did you expect? You think those New York lockdown people are Trumpers? You heard the speakers. Those weren't fucking whitey from the trailer park. You reap what you sow. Now, by any means, am I saying to the... 50 people that I think I can see listening, but it seems to have more stats at the end of the month, go do violence? No. But I damn sure ain't going to expect anybody that listens to this podcast are going to actually take that shit. And yeah, my fat ass is going to protest now. He's already talking executive order to fucking take away guns. No. He doesn't have that constitutional right. No, no, no. With periods of no. Am I going to protest making all 11 million illegals legal by a pen strike? No. Nor would I when Reagan did it. No. Not happening. And when I do it, you're not putting hands on me. You're not taking my flag. No. No, no, no. 
and that the media, the justice system today is allowing this to happen and making a Kyle Rittenhouse who defended himself pay $2 million. Why motherfucker with 90, uh, with a hundred felonies beating up 92 year olds in New York be able to walk out. Suck my ass. To our lighter, or not our lighter fare. I haven't done a lighter fare forever. Here we go with This Is America. That damn dog upstairs go piss me off. The first one, of course, is Cuomo. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the worst soundbite. When the liberal media is pushing one of them agenda story and says, This is America in 2019. facts to Americans, social distancing, safety, and wear a mask, wear a mask because it's common sense, it's smart, and because we care about one another. I'm proud of New Yorkers who had the courage to tell the truth and the strength to stand together. That's what New York tough really means. Be tough enough to say, I love you, I care about you, I need you. To see past the color of skin, religion, or sexual orientation. To see the humanity in each other. How we are all interconnected and all interrelated. And that our destiny is not individually determined, but rather determined by what we do together. That's not just my message or a New York message. It is a universal message and one we need to hear now more than ever. I appreciate the humor from my friends in the video, and I take it in good stride. And to Ben Stiller, whose teasing took liberal license, testing the boundaries of decorum and good taste, I only say New York tough means one more thing. It means, Ben, I know where you live. Thank you. Thank you for this tremendous honor. Thank you for sharing your gifts with all of us. Give love, get love. We will get through this together. And we will be the stronger for it. Thank you. The governor, the governor of the part of state, Andrew Cuomo. Congratulations, Andrew, on your much-deserved Founders Award. Governor Andrew Cuomo, you are the man. What? I was trying to think of something that I could say to you that would uh, be funny, and so I called Chris, who could not understand why you were getting an Emmy since he's the one on television. In the darkest days of the pandemic, your daily briefings live from New York gave us hope, gave us clarity, gave us the truth, gave us something that we were not getting from Washington, leadership. In the midst of this storm, Andrew Cuomo became the nation's governor. People across the country tuned into this press conferences every day. Daily I was watching his press conferences, informing us telling us what to do and uh, he also said that uh, you know now that you're the love gov uh, you've kind of transcended politics and now you're just part of really more you know you're more of like a national sex symbol he says you'll probably get more dates than votes that's him saying that not me you did your thing during covid new york was suffering we were epicenter we were all in a crisis in a panic and every single day you came on the airways and you offered your strength 
your leadership and your direction and your caring and your heart. You are the epitome of New York. These are things your brother says about you. I look up to you still. And you set the example for the rest of the nation, the rest of the world, how to be a leader during a time of crisis. Thank you for your leadership during these trying times. We are New York tough, smart, disciplined, united, and loving. Thank you, Governor. Stay safe, and please wear a mask. I want to say congratulations again, and uh, anything that you didn't like that I said was your brother Chris's idea. Congratulations. Much love. Brooklyn loves you. Andrew Cuomo! Mwah. What an honor and pleasant surprise during these hard times. I thank the International Academy and Bruce Paisner for this incredible award. Thank you to all the members of the Academy. Your work has brought smiles and hope and relief for so many people during these difficult days. I wish I could say that my daily COVID presentations were well choreographed, scripted, rehearsed, or reflected any of the talents that you advance. They didn't. They offered only one thing, authentic truth and stability. But sometimes that's enough. COVID will go down in the history books as one of the most difficult experiences in a generation. It has been a dark moment indeed. But what strikes me most is that when things are at their worst, that's when you can see people at their best. For all the darkness, there was light. People worked together. Everyone did what they could do. Our everyday heroes, the doctors and nurses who work in dangerous emergency rooms, the police, the ambulance drivers, the food store employees, everyone who leaves the safety of their home every day so we can remain in the safety of ours. Actors use their talents to communicate. This is how assed up our fucking media is. That guy's a hero. The most deaths everywhere, and he's a hero. Andrew Cuomo's International Emmy Awards acceptance speech, just one more bigging F you to COVID-19 victims. Kate Hyde, cringe level extreme. That was Spike Lee. Cuomo accepting award for failing the state, part one of two. Him, part failing the state, part two of two. A total clown. Then they did another one. Cringe level extreme New York celebs fate. Emmy winning nation's governor Andrew Cuomo for showing the world how to lead video. International Emmy Award. Governor Cuomo, New York, will see the international blah, blah, blah. And then they show Katie Hyde uh, again. What else do they show? Anybody else give me some comments on this shit other than fucking me and Katie Hyde? Um, President-elect Sean. Many people have said... Dead seniors could not be reached for comment. Peter Ganey, they should stick to signing we are or singing we are the world instead of providing an opinion on the Grim Reaper of New York. That's just fucking insane. It's just fucking insane. Then you get Senator Rand Paul. Attorney declined to investigate who funded thugs who attacked my wife and me. The D.C. attorney today confirmed to me that they will not pursue any investigation of who is funding the thugs who attacked my wife and me. Life site news for they were canceled. This is insane that there won't be an investigation of the violent leftist who attacked pro-life Senator Rand Paul. 
Antifa gets to assault senators. Do you think law enforcement will protect you from them? I give up. This is a this isn't a real country anymore. He's right. Let's follow the money. What are they afraid of? And people might say, hey, that's just some partisan shit. But you know goddamn good and well of me and Todd in Oregon, Matt in Oregon, and uh, Richard in Alabama got in our cars and drove to D.C. to harass Senator Tlaib, an actual Islamist, and her buddy Omar. Oh, they'd find out who financed us. Of course, we'd go to jail. We'd all go to jail. Then we have this one. Ah, good to see our friendly firefighters back in the normal habitat, cheering for everything the Democrats do. It must have been such a grueling last four years having to bitch and moan about Trump. CNN's Brianna Gogria, the selection of Blinken as America's top diplomat, singles Biden's aim to place experienced people in key cabinet posts. This sentence would not have stood out before 2016. It likely would not have been written at all, actually. Richard Grinnell, you're supposed to be a journalist, not a cheerleader, her reply. Putting experienced people in key cabinet positions apparently hit a nerve. I can understand why. I'm really looking forward to the day when Senate-confirmed DNI doesn't moonlight as an internet troll. Richard Grinnell, you can mock those who call out your bias all you want. You can ignore the criticism and keep pushing your agenda all you want. But you can't stop the public from pointing out that you aren't a real journalist. You're an activist for the Democrat. Somebody posted the picture of Obama's cabinet crying because Trump got elected. And understand, we're back in the sound or the 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 phase that when you criticize this transgender defense advisor, you're a transphobe. And remember, Rich Grinnell's gay. So we're back into that. Then we got this one from overseas, the five terrifying policies to brace for under Biden. Uh, Let me see. I wish they would have done this. Okay. Anyone who's seen former Vice President Parties as to praying he doesn't become president, they make Hillary Clinton, who ran for the most extreme platform, look like a school teacher. And unfortunately, Biden's agenda is a collection of radical policies we think he'll push. These are things he actually said he's due. As CNS News Terry Jeffrey points out, it's a terrifying list. Most conservatives don't want to think about Biden presidency, let alone that it would mean for our country. But as the clock ticks on and the election drags out, we can't imp- ignore that he's going to win. Based on what we've outlined to people over the past several months, will be an all-hands-on-deck moment for every God-fearing, freedom-loving American in the country. Now Jeffrey's made a limited on space because he only highlights five evil things Biden plans as president. If you read the Biden-Sanders manifesto or pursuit perused Biden's campaign website, you know there's many more. For now, though, Christians, pro-lifers, and anyone who cares about freedom needs to brace themselves for these significant moments. The very first Jeffrey explained on Washington Watch on Wednesday is to codify Roe v. Wade, making it impossible states to limit or ban abortion for any reason. What makes it worse? Repealing the Hyde Amendment so you pay for everything. Number two, Biden wants to end the Hyde Amendment. Three, Biden would reinstate the Obamacare mandate demanding that every business and nonprofit over 
abortion-causing pills, and conception in their health plan. Four, Biden says on day one he's going to force public schools and colleges to treat biological males as females. And last but not certainly least, the Obama vice president says he would under insurance companies, order insurance companies, to cover gender reassignment surgeries. Now that's just one phase of the things he's going to do. But I do that to play This Is America 2. This is child abuse. Good morning. Today we choose to recognize, honor, love, and celebrate anyone here who would claim their identity publicly as lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, or questioning, intersex, pansexual, asexual, or any category that I've left out. This is Phoenix. Phoenix would like you to know that she's a girl and she prefers she and her pronouns. May you be well, safe, and whole. We honor you exactly as you are. In a real normal world, if we lived in one, those parents would lose their child. That's not a kid that's trans. That's a parent that wants to make them trans. Mary Margaret Olihan. Watch these adults push a toddler dressed as a rainbow clothing to publicly announce that he is a girl named Phoenix who would prefer she or her pronouns. I'm a little child, the child says, when offered a microphone to make the announcement. The clip is from the HBO documentary Transhood. The youngest subject of the film, Phoenix, is just four years old when filming began. While their parents are supportive at first, once Phoenix detransitions and begins to identify as a boy, the mother does a complete 180, calling transgender identity a mental disorder. Though she's clearly going through her own personal transformation following a divorce, she says, I'm glad I changed like this. I'm glad I changed. I like this me a lot more. For all its positives, transhood spends a lot of time on the minute of medical transition, a narrative many trans people would like to move on from. Yesterday, the first four hormone shot or surgical consultation have by now become ubiquitous scenes in trans documentaries, and transhood is full of them. The film feels definitively geared towards a cisgender audience, specifically parents who may be confused by the whole trans thing. Jennifer Michelle Greenberg, the chant at the end is absolutely creepy. Ian Pryor, this is ridiculous. President-elect Jeff Garrett, child abuse, plain and simple. It's a cult. This makes me just want to cry. Just let kids be kids. Jessica O'Donnell, wouldn't blame God for smiting us. That's a parent forcing a kid to do something. But 
we're transphobes for even saying it. We're horrible people because we won't accept the thoughts of a four-year-old kid who clearly wasn't down with that. And if you think four-year-old kids want to change their gender, you might want to go see somebody. Because maybe you got a problem too. Because that is not real. It's manufactured. It is what the left does because it is a cult. I mean, you talk to people who have never even for a second thought that maybe some of the stuff they hear on CNN isn't real. Like our segment on the nurse. CNN knew that was bullshit. The lady herself knew it was bullshit. But we can get it in and we might influence a few people to vote against Trump. And now we have a president-elect and a vice president-elect that are all in on this transgender bullshit for kids. Once again, don't give a fuck if you want to be a goat. If you want to fuck a goat. I don't care what you do. But that's child abuse. And now it is once again going to be forced on our kids. Because it's not about people deciding what their gender is or who they want to fuck. It's about ideology. And if you get it in in grade school, you got them. You got them all. You get to start brainwashing. So that wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share with your family and friends and send comments about the track to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Going to start changing all my emails in a second. So I'll put out new emails before the next podcast. Not going to use podcast at Gmail. I'm going to go to a different email. You can get this show on SoundCloud, Pocket Static, TuneIn Radio, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, Down in Pocket Cast. Remember, check out the Twitter account at Fop Tony Reed. Our next podcast is going to be, I'm going to do a Sunday, the 29th, and then we'll go back to the 2nd of December. Um, I wanted to do a section on Thanksgiving, but I've done it for five years and it's kind of silly. So we all know what Thanksgiving's about. We all know Thanksgiving is a great time for family and friends. And by no means when I'm dogging all the COVID, um, I haven't been a COVID denier. I know it's a disease. I just don't think it's a killer disease. And I damn sure don't think all the lockdowns or any of this crap has actually fucking worked. But you're a goddamn adult. And that's what we've lost on this. So if you're having a family get-together, have your family get-together. But at the minimum, as much as I bash everything that's going on, I think I made it quite clear through this little personal nobody in his bunker. This is a great country. And we still have a lot to be thankful for. It's going to take a lot of us getting off our ass and getting active and pushing back and doing letter campaigns and start playing like the left and start boycotting shit to get them to stop all 
this fascist shit. But it's a great country. And we have plenty to be thankful for with our family, our friends. So make sure you pause on Thanksgiving Day and give thanks. As bad as the presidential election went, as it looks it was stolen, it is fucked up, the media bias, blah, blah. At least the House improved, and we got a good shot at keeping the Senate, which will at least block the majority of this bullshit. And even if he does executive orders, hopefully in 2024, America will get enough of this. I'm telling you how to breathe bullshit, and they'll vote against it, and we can just remove those executive orders, which is good. It'd be better for him to do all this illegal bullshit that he's going to try to pull on America executively, because then we can block it. So, there's a positive in that. We just got to hope Georgia works out. But regardless, as I keep derating back into politics, be thankful. Take a moment and thank something, which we have so much. I know I'll be thankful for my family. I'll be thankful for my friends. I'll be thankful I got a roof over my head. And even as much as I bitch, I'm thankful I was born, raised, got to defend And live out my days in this country, because it's ten times better than any other country. And when I shut off CNN, MSNBC, the entire media complex, I'm pretty happy. So, as I end all of these, make sure on Thanksgiving Day, you disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah, yeah. Spend time with your family. Decorate your tree! Which I'm doing today, actually. And then tune back in Sunday. For another exciting episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. As always, thanks for listening. Take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Twitter account at Fop Tony Reed and send suggestions or comments to email address F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Remember, the flyover states are the backbone of this country. Never fear flying your flag and standing tall. Ignore the media hate. Ignore the fascist coastal states. Try as they might to bring America down. The patriots of this country will never bow down.
Thank you.